0: Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your
1: host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. So hi, James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, You're actually uh, gonna be the first one that that we've ever interviewed uh, about a TMS injury. It's kind of like this forgotten group of, I guess, I'm going to say psychiatric uh system victims and um I've actually never spoken to anyone before and so I'm really excited to hear your story. Um and I think probably like a good way to kick it off is if you just talk to us about a little bit of the background. How did you end up uh, uh getting TMS and then and then just walk walk us uh through it from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um thanks for having me on Joseph. Uh, yeah. Um, so I was a business professional um and at a big corporation, so it wasn't a very like warm and fuzzy kind of environment. It was like a production environment. Yeah. Um, and I kind of worked my way up at this large company. and um were you in banking at the
1: time, or was it uh, doing okay, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 I was in banking. My whole career ended up being in banking, which i maybe I'm lucky, maybe I'm not, but it was like a, yeah. it was like almost fifteen years. and um mm-hmm. so. So I, I worked for quite a while, and um the stress eventually kind of built up and I really didn't know I figured you know you just work as hard as you can for as long as you can, but um the stress built up over the years I kind of repressed it and stuff and then I ended up having to go out of work cause I kind of had this breakdown where I just couldn't function and all the stress kind of poured into me at once um, and then a doctor took me out and he actually gave me lexapro uh, and i didn't there'll be these little recurrent themes of how things went wrong. And I didn't recognize them at the time. But when I first took Lexapro, I actually had akathisia, um, inner akathisia, and I had no idea what it was. So I was just constantly like panicking and freaking out just from taking this minimum dose of Lexapro. And, um, so I like, I, I kept calling my doctor and I mean, you're probably familiar with how it goes with people going through this. Um, you know, I kept calling my doctor cause I just couldn't sit still. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't let it go that something was horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And then um, he's like, he kept being like, you can't just come into my office, you know, we'll stage an appointment for like three or four days from now or whatever. And I was like, I was like, okay, I'm just going down there. So I just went down there and like, I kind of, I got accosted by the nurse, but I was like, no, I need him now. I was lucky he was a good doctor because he was actually like, okay, I can see it's really bad. Come in and see me. I'll talk to you. So I went and talked to him and he gave me this whole spiel about how well the drug had worked for certain family members of his and um and i believed him i trusted him but it was clear to me after that, that interaction like he's basically like just go home and calm down and i was like no like this isn't gonna work so then i went and saw a psychiatrist because i thought their help would be more adequate right and they would know what they're doing as opposed to a gp that i had seen so that's how i landed in psychiatry mm-hmm. and um they actually they gave me abuse bar which mellowed me out and resolved the akathisia at that time and i continued on both but i was just a zombie like i would i had never fallen asleep at work before never not even close and I literally would go into work and lay down my head for a second and wake up like 30 45 minutes later like at my desk um so and and this this may be like a
1: like a total stereotype of bankers from just my experience in general psychiatry but when all of this was happening were you were you on any stimulants like adderall or were you smashing like Ten cups of coffee a day. It just it, it. It seems to be a type. I don't know if
0: that was in the mix as well when this breakdown happened. No, that's a really good. It's a, oh okay. So at that time, I've I've always been pretty healthy guy. I'm like, hey, if you want to feel good, like just exercise and eat well, and you'll be fine, right? And it's worked for me in the past. But um, for a little while before that, I had started drinking energy drinks, and I drink like two monsters a day, or like a couple Red Bull or whatever. And then I was having these horrible crashes and I finally had given it up like maybe like a year or two before that. So at the time, I actually okay. wasn't doing anything. I was actually pretty clean and trying to be healthy, but that depiction yeah. is not far off from where I yeah. was a few times. All right, all, right. So, all right. Yeah. Okay. So, so carry on. So it sounds
1: like, so you're, you're, you're on Pew Bar, Things seem to be settling down. You're a bit sedated. And yeah. I guess that was it for a while until you had your second run in or was there kind of more going on?
0: Yeah. Um, just as interesting side point. So my doc's like, Hey, you might, you're going to have to be on this for at least like a year or more. So just relax, just take the stuff. And like, after a few months, I was like, I was like, no. Um, so, and I was like, he's going to be pissed. Right. Cause he was, he was kind of a really controlling or, or guiding figure, how you want to look at it. And I don't, I don't really go that way. I was like, I make my own decisions, but I was in a desperate spot. So I just, I knew cold turkey was probably a bad idea. So I think I was like having the pills for a while and then I was just done. And um, I went in to see him one day. I was like, hey, I stopped taking this like a couple weeks ago, you know, and he was really pissed. Um, but he let me go. I started having brain lightning. Um, mm-hmm. So like I had the shocking sensations in my brain and I was really tired for a few months. But I had read online that it would go away. And at the time, I didn't I didn't know how significant it was. I was like, okay. So about, after... At about the three-month mark, I was like, pretty much fine. I was like, I don't have the brain lightning anymore. My energy's returned. I'm fine. I think I carried an injury from that on because I went back to work not during that process, and um, mm-hmm. and I had more stress, you know. And I think I think I carried that injury, but so that was my first run-in. Interesting, I think. Interesting sidebar. Um, but and then it was. I think it was about seven years later. Um, I had I had a recurrent like um depressive anxious stuff i was anxious for so long i became depressive essentially is what it was um and i went to see a doc and i was i was trying to exercise and eat well you know and the doc i took the phq9 and um the doc was like hey i see see you're depressed you want to try to do something about that it was just a regular visit you know a regular checkup and i was like i i'm not interested in taking meds i did that it went really bad um not interested and he's he's like okay that's fine but there's this treatment called transcranial magnetic stimulation that it does, it can't hurt you. There's no possibility of harm. But it for but it's a he was a believer, so he was like, this treatment it doesn't harm anybody, but it it permanently puts you in your depression in remission. Like it, it cha- alters your brain in such a way to where you <laughs> yeah right you'll never be depressed again. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, I'm like that doesn't seem possible, but you. I also saw him as a really good doctor. He was a DO and not an MD. He was very much into physical medicine. And so, like, I paused and I was like, maybe he knows something I don't know. And um he was like, I was like, okay, tell me more. And so he's like, look at these certain devices. Um, they've been doing it at the VA forever. You know, he's giving me all he's saying all the right things to me. So and he's like, So if you if you're interested, then you know, we'll meet back in a week and then you tell me, and we'll, we'll figure it out or whatever, right? So he sends me home with all these, all these um, hit words, like, you know, that I can go and look up, these search terms, basically go look up online, and I don't find anything bad. I find these, these great stories about it. Um, and it's funny, knowing what I know now and looking at that, and, and then remembering what I was looking at, like it's telling you all these things about TMS, but none of them are really descriptive. Right, like nothing is really telling you what TMS is, or how it really works. It's just like they just pass a magnet through your head. They say magnet, they don't say electromagnet, which is impossible, right? You have to have an electrical field with the magnetic field. Um, they say we use a strong magnet, you know, to uh, to shift the neurons in your brain and to make them active again, right? And shocking neurons I think makes them active even though it damages them so like part of it's true but right and but but the lens I'm seeing it through is like wow this is like this really makes sense this is amazing like they just basically turn on this it was it was how it was taught to me as well you know it's this this safe non-drug intervention is is really how they sell it absolutely so that's emphasized obviously and then like from a like kind of functional perspective that made a lot of sense. They're like, this part of your brain's not functioning. You're depressed. Right. So it's just off, right. The, ha- the happy part of your brain kind of, and then, then we stimulate it. So it turns on and your neurons can fire there again. So then you're happy. And there was this part of me that was like, wow, this makes perfect sense. Like technology's kind of catching up to, to, to medical science and, and what we know about the brain. So we get to be on like this cutting edge of, of resolving like really negative mental health or me- negative mental health ruts or, you know, or something. And and if and, I think about no. like what
1: I was told, because cause I've done TMS before, like uh, as, a, as a practitioner, you know, I've been in the room when my attending was doing it. I think I did it for three months. The only thing I remember him saying about it was, that it can cause headaches. I, I, and that was the only thing I remember hearing. Um, and then it can be uncomfortable a little bit, you know, when you're actually receiving the treatment that, that can cause some scalp discomfort, yeah. uh, which is time limited and temporary. And I mean, was that sort of similar in terms of like the, how the risks were told to you at the time? Or did you get maybe, I don't know, a more
0: comprehensive explanation of what could happen? No, that's that's exactly what's out there. And that's exactly what's kind of parroted. And um, I went back and looked up like, well, after I was hurt, I I got really into informed consent and I realized, oh, if they didn't warn me about these harms, I might be able to bring a suit or something. So I went back and looked up my consent form and it said exactly it said even less than what you said, I think. I think it only said there is a small risk of like headache. And that was the only thing on the consent form. Um, Scalp discomfort was the other one. And um, I think that's it. Um, yeah, I, I that's really. All,
1: that's all I remember. So, yeah. right, So, tell us what 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 happened to you? Because um, because you do a series of um, TMS treatments. I mean, you might do like three to four a week for a period of time. Like like how many did you have? When did you
0: start having um, problems? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, and I mean, again, I always. Some people kind of focus on their own injury. I tend to be like macroscopic and step back and see all these similarities. I I see so much in common with med use and even my own med use and, um, and other treatments when I was going through this TMS process. So I went in and, um, of course the women, the ladies in there were, they're, they're fantastic. They're like so kind and warm. Like they believed in the treatment. They had gotten the treatment themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And I go back into that, that maybe that picture you had of like a banker maybe being like clever and like overactive and like hardworking right so i'm going in them i'm asking them the whole time the workers i'm like is this real like is this real like does this really work you know tell me what you really think like you know off the record you know i was really trying to probe them to get more information out of the situation so i could make a good decision and um they really swore up and down like off the record on the record like it's great you can't get hurt like all this stuff so i know they really believed it and they were genuine people i don't have any reason to believe that they were being dishonest in any way um so yeah so so now i'm like i'm like man i did all my due diligence as much as i possibly could um so the only thing left to do is to do it and um and so i sit down i go in there ask you this kind of before jumping into it When, when, when you look when you
1: look back at the stresses in your life like like I know you mentioned, you know, anxiety spills over into depression. I mean, I mean, was there, was there a lot of shit going on in your life at the time? (laughs) Was it, you know, you're kind of like finding yourself in your career or uh, relational problems. I mean, you know, you can only share as much as you want to, but I always think it's, you know, you ended up in a position where they were putting like electromagnets, uh, you know, on your brain and, and, and doing (laughs) this kind of stuff. But I always wonder, like, did, did anyone ask about like, hey, James, like what was going on that kind of puts you in this anxious state where you eventually crashed into a depression and maybe we'll have a look at that? I I mean, was that part kind of looked into at all or, or brought up?
0: No, it's a great question. And I think it's really important to look at the solution, what your potential solutions would have been to your problem. Right. And 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 again, why, why am I sitting in a chair and they're putting this big monstrous thing on the side of my head and turning it on and i'm going through this discomfort like why would i accept that as a reasonable alternative um and so for me my family's always been fantastic i'm i'm so lucky and that's i am not messing around like i i don't deserve my family um they're they're so rad and so supportive and even my wife was like, I don't think this is a good idea. It's too good to be true. And because she couldn't really materialize an argument, like we went ahead with it and she po- supported me, but she felt uncomfortable. Um, so being that my family so rad, I felt like I really needed to do my job and to work hard and to be successful at work, um, which I think a lot of people like that's, that's a simple motive and it's simple enough. But so my mistake was not like compromising uh, my my professional integrity I guess for the sake of like being a hard worker and really just trying to work through everything so I was like well I'll just keep working harder you know if I feel like my environment's kind of unethical or it's not the the greatest place to work then I'll just you know I'll just keep working it'll be fine you know Mm -hmm. and then when you've been there for 10 years you know you're like I just Now I've been here for so long, I want to retire, I want to move up, like just keep going. And that's kind of a trap, too. Unfortunately, the professional environment now is really not geared around careers anymore. Like you really have to jump around to maintain happiness, keep growing. Like there's all these negatives, right? But so for me, my big my Achilles heel was work, and there was always layoffs going on. Right? If the economy was good and they're making a ton of money, they're like, well, we need to make sure things are streamlined. You know, and they would lay people off. Then the economy is bad and they just start laying off even more people. And um, so you're just constantly under this high level of scrutiny. And then at really big corporations, there's this other phenomena where they, there's so much management, they really take away the ability of the individual to do a really good job because they're constantly like shifting you around and shifting your projects so that they can kind of look good and take credits for things and you can't take credit for it. it it's really it's really kind of disgusting, but it's, it's like just the status quo now in big corporations. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't given credit for my work. I was never paid adequately. I wasn't even allowed to build up my skills too much before I was moved somewhere else because someone would be threatened or there'd be some issue. Um, and then they were constantly um, laying people off. Like I started to get friends in HR after I had been there for a long time. And like, you'd reach out and they'd be like, yeah, your name's on a list, I'm sorry. You know, you got three months to, to to get your name off a list or your toast, you know? And um, and after you've been there for 10 years, like the, the, like the stress just adds up. And then, then you feel locked in. And you've been there for a long time, you're constantly in this pressure, you're locked in. So your stress just runs out. And then, like you said, I end up like depressed and then I kind of hate my life. I don't feel like I can move you know, and, and this stuff's going on. So that, that was the cause, right. If I would have been like, you know what, enough is enough. I go get a job at a smaller place where people care about each other, you know, and, and we stick up for each other and we work together, right. Things would have gone entirely differently. So,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm not, were you at like, it sounds like you were like an I banker at, you know, Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan Chase or something. Are you, are you an I banker? Was that the, was that your background or a different kind?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah no i mean yeah, you're I mean, you're close, I mean, but I
1: mean, yeah yeah, sounds stressful, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, but all the all the everyone gets hammered like at a at a place like yeah. that i I ended up being in technology after a while, and um it was really cool, I loved like coding and working with programmers and developers and stuff, but we got we got put under the same kind of pressure like sure okay yeah. well
1: interesting interesting aside there, okay, so really work stresses kind of, kind of boiled over and, and yeah. Okay. So let's uh, take me back to it. So you start getting your treatments. What, how does that unfold?
0: Yeah. But the the interesting is like when you tell your doctor that, right, it becomes kind of their excuse for like this unmitigatable like problem. So then you go to psychiatry, right. Instead of them saying, well, maybe you can consider a new profession. Like that's kind of appalling to ask someone, right? Like, why don't you just start your life over? You know, they, tend to go, I think it's easier for them to go to a psychiatry route. Um, so, was, that
1: like the right, was that the right response? Like, hey, James, maybe this, maybe this environment's not good for you and you'd probably thrive more in, a, in another place?
0: It, I mean, man, looking
1: back on it, was that what you needed to hear
0: or would that have been helpful? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, if a doctor might have been, I've seen other people burn out before, like, this, you know, this is a bad road. You really should, you know, consider something else. Yeah, I mean would have been so much more productive if I would have listened I and mean, arguably maybe I wouldn't have listened but
1: sure it's hard especially when you've been doing it for 10 years and you just yeah you you kind of get locked in
0: yeah exactly mm-hmm. um so so I'm at at the clinic and um they start they do this mapping where they test your reflexes right it's called um what is it uh it's this twitch response they do to see, I think, your motor threshold. They're testing your motor threshold to see if they're close to giving you a seizure or not. Uh, you know, they don't want your, your fingers jumping when yeah. they start. And th- it's kind of, I, I see it's hilarious now, but it's tragic, right? It's like, all right, you're sending electromagnetic waves that are harmless through my body, and you're making my hand move involuntarily with them, right? Like, this is not indicative of something that's really benign, Um and then, of course, they don't tell you the seizure wrap that they're trying not to, you know, overstimulate your nervous system. But, but that, And I don't even think the clinics really know that that's what it is. They're just told they're, by the manufacturer they're trying to find the sweet spot. So they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, arguably, I didn't walk away from there feeling great, but I felt reasonably fine um, during the mapping session. You know, and then after the mapping session, they're like, okay, this will be your first session. Come back in two days. And then everything worked out and um and then that'll be your first session another point of detail i did my phq9 there with them and they're like this isn't really bad enough to um to justify insurance they're like you you might want to change some of these scores if you want it to be easy to get through insurance to have them pay for it right and I was like, oh, they're helping me out. I looked at it as a way for them to help me out to make my situation easier, right? To get into the treatment. So I actually changed, I exaggerated my PHQ-9 scores a little bit, um, so that so that everything would go smoothly. Again, me being a patient, I didn't think that was like a big deal. But after having learned what I had about medical fraud and insurance fraud and stuff like that, it there's deeper issues there. And then efficacy, like right, like. How they're measuring efficacy mm-hmm. for patients and stuff. There's this. There's this other ethical issue there, which I didn't understand at the time. So I I go back two days later, and it's so there's this tapping. People explain it as a tapping sensation on the side of your head. If you had to, and it sounds like you've seen this, so maybe maybe you get it. And tell me if you do. But you, the, the machine makes a clicking, and you and you feel this tapping. But when I f- and I kind of like, oh, they're telling me there's a tapping and there's this tapping going on. But really when I'm thinking back, it feels more than tapping. It feels like the tapping's happening inside your head, which it is. Right? Like it's it's a sensation that's hard to describe, but people really don't know what it is to feel something like pushing through, you know, an invisible force kind of pushing through your head into your brain. And mm-hmm if I had to describe it, it's it's something more than tapping, you know, a tap, this is what a tap feels like, but it felt like a pressure, a pressurized kind of tap, you know, like something a little bit more invasive or a little bit more serious than that. Other people that I've talked to in my group, they're like, it felt like a jackhammer. They're like, it felt like someone was just chiseling through my skull. Um, other people, they scream they're like right off the bat like on have lots of few quite a few people have been like i was screaming in the first treatment and like they had to hold me down in the chair and i'm like i'm kind of taken back And i'm like wow and i'm listening to them and hearing like asking them more appropriate questions i am realizing they're being totally authentic and then i hear the story repeated and i'm like you know it's it's pretty if certain people react that way like it's pretty invasive or it's a lot more heavy duty than you think um and, and maybe there's more to it you know so I go through this tapping and this kind of pressure feeling, and to me, um, like I'm, you know, I, I work out, I run, I try to do all this stuff, right? That kind of physical contact, like not that bad. It's easy for me to ignore, right? It's not as bad as like having a torn muscle or pulling something or something, right? It's just this discomfort. I'm yeah. just like, I just stay here for 20 minutes. It's fine. Um, and I come away from it that first day, and I'm like, okay, I feel a little funky, um, but. Whatever. And I actually asked, I don't know if I asked them on the first or second day, but I was like, you know, I don't, I feel a little off, like a little fuzzy. Like, is that normal? Um, and they're like, yeah, that's normal. It's fine. Like it, once you've been doing the treatment for two weeks, like that resolves and you'll, and you'll be totally fine. It's not, it's not a big deal. Sure. Yeah. And I was like, okay. You know, and mm-hmm. psych meds, other things is the same thing, like your body's adjusting to it psychologically, you're kind of adjusting to it, feel a little, little off or goofy. Um, so I go home. Come back the next day, and this is every day. for It's supposed to be every day. There's like 45 treatments or something. So it's every weekday for like two and a half months or something close to that. I come back the next day. I'm still feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm still feeling a little Mm -hmm. bit fuzzy from the first day. And this is when the rub kind of happened for me. It was either the second or the third. Of course, hard to remember. But on the second or the third day, I was still feeling fuzzy. And then they're like, we need to turn up the intensity of the machine right? Um, are you okay with that? And I'm like, wait, you didn't mention a word about having to increase intensity or that having anything to do with anything. It's just like, it was supposed to be the simplistic treatment. You just come in, you sit down, it does its thing, and then you get better over time, right? And I
1: think that's pretty normal because I, I remember seeing that a lot.
0: I, I, and
1: like when I was in the clinic, it's like, you start someone really low because like you said, sometimes it feels like a jackhammer to some people hitting, hitting them on the head. And and I saw that a lot. I would say most people they were like, it's like a mild discomfort, but for some people it really was like this jackhammery type thing. And so they'd start them on the low dose and then they wanted to like bump you up into the therapeutic threshold or whatever, whatever that, that was. And and they kind of do it just depending on how much tolerance, for whatever that that pain or the discomfort is and so it sounds like that caught you off guard when they were like hey we need to move you up to the therapeutic
0: level exactly and yeah for me i was already feeling a little fuzzy right so i'm then when they're talking about increasing it i was like now i'm getting kind of uncomfortable like feeling a little fuzzy after something i'm fine but feeling more and more fuzzy this is not quite right and i i think it's you like nailed you worse and then they go oh we're going to turn up the volume right yeah <laughs> Exactly. And I think you nailed something right there when you're talking about how people feel it differently in, and, they're, and they're turning it up. Something I've thought about a lot is it seems really obvious something else is going on and something's taken place that we're not quantifying very well, right? Mm-hmm. The way people are feeling and why it's affecting some people instead of others, this is it's presented in one way as being very simplistic. And then when you get into the weeds and the details... Um, there's 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 something entirely different going on here. You know, people reacting differently. There's this intensity thing. Some people are uncomfortable. You know, this, like you were saying before, like, is this something any different than a slight headache and scalp discomfort? Maybe it's not easy to describe. You know, maybe it's um kind of an ethereal thing that's happening. Can't quantify it well, but it, there is definitely something entirely different going on. There's a whole different set of symptoms and experience that medical sciences isn't good at describing, which mm-hmm. I think, I think we'll get to cover when I look at my research on TMS. But so that, so that's what I'm experiencing. It's not physical pain, but I don't feel quite right. There's this kind of thing going on for me. So they say, we'll turn it up. And I'm then, so I'm thinking about for a minute and I'm like, well, what am I going to say? No. And go home. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Okay. Turn it up. So they turn it up and I'm like, okay, that was, uh, that was even more uncomfortable but I'm like, I'm not in pain, but I just feel more fuzzy, you know? And they're like, well, that's normal. It's okay. You'll get used to it. We'll, t- we'll end up turning it up to like 150% or 120% of the third dose will be fine, right? And I'm like, okay. So so I go home, I come back, and they're like, we'll go up in increments of like 10 or something, 10% a day yeah. for like a couple of weeks. Yep. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. Um, come back, Go. I go home, come back same thing. They turn it up and they had done it like 5% the previous day. They're like, well, do you want to try 10? And I'm like, now I'm kind of at a different perspective. I'm like, all right, let's power through this and go. I'm like, okay, turn it up to 10. They do 10. And again, I cannot describe exactly how I felt except for saying fuzzy, but now I felt I, it was much more intense and I felt much, much, much worse. That was a moment when I was like, I didn't have the cognitive ability to say this is bad or it's wrong, but I had the cognitive ability to understand that it was serious and I would have to handle it differently. So I remember driving home that day and I drove across town like, you know, like 30 minutes or something. And it was difficult to get home. Like cars were driving around me and I was like, I can't tell you why but I'm not as aware and I feel out of control and I don't know really what's going on around me like I'm focusing on where I'm going but my situational awareness is like zero like I so this I I mean that's that's unusual everything up until this point I think
1: I saw doing TMS I've seen people complain like it's like a jackhammer on their head and I've seen them like you say hey just hang in there like I know it's uncomfortable but we want to get you up and you kind of grit through it and they're okay but I don't think I ever saw anyone who developed, you know, after three or four treatment treatments, like straight up confusion. And so that's, to me, that would have been really concerning. Uh, I think if I started having someone who was just like, Hey doc, I had, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I couldn't really get home the other day. So, so this to me seems like when things are really starting to maybe veer off the tracks a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And when I got home, I told my wife, I was like, you have to drive me. I can't drive anymore. It doesn't feel safe. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I understood later after I had a a neuropsychological exam is that I was losing my ability to multitask. Like if I'm talking to you straight, like I am now, like I can perform fairly well, but if there's noise in the background or there's other things going around, around me, I lose my ability to really do anything. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like confused, like you said. Right. And then I can't focus and I'm just like, I can't really do anything real well. But at the time, totally unaware of that. So my wife's like, okay, you know, and she was kind of concerned, but we talked through it and stuff. And we really believe the clinicians when they're like, everything's going to be fine in two weeks. So I go back, we turned it down to 5% instead of like, keep going up 10 every time, you know, so it wasn't as dramatic, but I still felt very confused and fuzzy, um, and my wife drove me, so I wasn't driving anywhere at the time. We got to the two-week mark, and um, I asked him. I said, "Hey, is this this is not going away? You know, is it?" She's all, and then she's like, "Well, some people it doesn't go away till the end of treatment." And I'm like, "We didn't say that up front, right?" And I'm like, "I'm like, but the what I was experiencing, I really didn't expect it to go away because it was fairly intense. But again, I couldn't describe it very well." um so i was just like i i guess you know and now i know i was pretty seriously cognitively impaired at the time so i'm like i look back and i'm just like i don't know how i would have self-rescued out of that situation you know like i i was just like going with the flow and really really hoping and praying for the best like that you just get through this treatment and then everything will be fine like they say at the end like just stop don't worry about it just do it and um and that and that's what i did once i once I chose that path, I really wasn't coming off of it because i really didn't have a lot of ability to think myself out of the situation. Um, so that went on. And then, um, it was somewhere, I think it was somewhere around the one month mark. Um, man, I don't think about this very often. It, like, it crushes me when I talk about it, but, uh, I was, I was in bed and I, I just jump out of bed because the fire alarm is on in my house and in the middle of the night, like, Mhm like three or four or something. Um, and like, I'm, I'm throwing the covers off and my wife is like, she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, we got to get the kids like that, like the alarm's going off. Like something's going down right now. Like we got it, you know? And she's like, she's like, she kept trying to stop me. She was saying something. And I was like, I'm like, what? No, I'm like, the fire alarm is going on. I'm like, how can you not hear this? I'm like, she must be out of it. She's just groggy from sleep, right? And she's like, She's like, stop, 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 whatever. And I'm like, what? She's like, there's no fire alarm. She's like, there's nothing going off right now. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I sat there in disbelief for a moment and, um, and I'm listening and I'm realizing what I'm hearing is not an alarm sound. It's a, it's a screeching, a screaming in my ears, but it it doesn't sound like the beeping of an, of an alarm. Right. And then I'm starting to realize this and she's like what and i i was like i hear this really really r- loud ringing in my ears and um she's like you know i've never had ringing in your ears before and i'm like i'm like no like she's like have you ever been to a concert before i'm like yeah and she's like did your ears ring afterward and i'm like yeah but it went away in like an hour or whatever right she's like she's like that's what it is she's like, just ringing in your ears and like i am panicking right mm-hmm. and um because 'cause I've never- outside of loud noise, I've never experienced anything like that before, and it's really temporary um and so she's like, it's just ringing your ears, it's fine, just relax, I get it all the time, apparently she does I didn't know that um yeah. I go back to bed, I bring it up with the clinicians um and they're like, we really don't have any reports of that or anything, like we will probably just resolve it's fine, you know they didn't they didn't know what to make of it, mm-hmm. um I didn't know that that was that was a sign of neurological injury or, or head injury, anything at the time. Um, so I was like, okay, and still have it now. Um, I've found ways to cope with it, but it just stuck with me, the whole treatment. Um, so that happened in the middle. And so that was the only like big change that happened. Uh, otherwise I got to the end of the treatment. Um, and I was like, I still feel really fuzzy. I still can't drive. And um, the girls are like, okay, we'll talk with the doctor about it on the, on the exit interview. And, um, I, so I bring it up to the doc cause the doc only saw me at the beginning to approve it. And then at the end, um, yeah. didn't see me in the middle. So at the end, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I, I have these issues I've been dealing with. And they kept saying, it's going to resolve like how long until it goes away. And then he's like, it'll be, it'll go away within, in two weeks, you know, it'll be fine. And I'm like, well, what if it doesn't? And he's like, And this is when I know I got got like this is when everything started to come into focus for me. One, I wasn't really any better. And then two, I had this stuff going on, but he's like, it looks like if if it doesn't go away after two weeks, you've developed some other neurological problem during TMS that is separate and has nothing to do with TMS. So you need to go see a neurologist. And I kind of stared at him and I was like, oh i was like there's nothing i can do now like i'm done with treatment i'm like whatever happened happened um like me freaking out right now or, or doing anything to show anger or disappointment or whatever i was like this is the last time i'm going to see of any of these people so i just i i just i'll have to figure it out some other way so i left
1: you know one of the things i remember about tms and which i didn't mention mentioned previously did they make you wear like earmuffs or earplugs during the treatment so, so
0: yeah. yeah, I'm pretty proficient yeah. with the inner ear plugs, you need know, twist them up and put them in there real good. And I had that the whole time. Yeah. So, okay.
1: Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So, t- so tell me what, what happened next.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so I left there and then of course, two weeks later, four weeks later, um, you know, nothing. I actually, I actually lost my job in that time period. So. Um, they saw, I mean, at work, I mean, I can't even really recall what I did at work during those times, but I will tell you, the one thing I do know is that I got an out of cycle raise just before, like a couple months before I had TMS. So in these kind of aggressive corporate environments, like if you save the company a bunch of money, if you do these really big things, they'll, cause everyone fights for their end of the year review where you can get a raise. Right. And most people yeah. don't get a raise. They give it to some people. Right. But if you, if you really crush it, like they'll give you an out of cycle raise and they'll give you title, right. They'll make you a vice president or assistant vice president or whatever. So they had done that for me like a few months before TMS. So I was under a lot of stress, having issues, but I, by, in all accounts, I was, I was doing really, really good at my job. Um, and then, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know what I missed at work. I don't know what happened, but. My, they got rid of me, like right after they started giving me more money, not long before. And um, I did, you know, I think my, my my best guess is that I started performing badly and they got, they let me go. Um, I can, there's no way for me to know for sure, but so that had happened. So I was kind of at home on severance. I really didn't know what to do. And um, after a few weeks, I was like, all right, I need to try to find another doctor that can can look mm-hmm. at the stuff a neurologist that would really know what's going on. And um and I found a neurologist. They were aware of what TMS was, but they again they were under the same auspices that like you just wait and it'll just go away, you'll be fine. Right? Um and they kind of admitted that they didn't even if it didn't, like they didn't know what to do. I mean, I didn't even ask you, did it help with your depression? So again, paralleling to like meds and other things. It blunted me really hard. Like my cognition was really poor and low during this time, right? Which at the time I didn't know. I just felt fuzzy, but looking, looking back, I was, my cognition was blunted. So I'd actually report that my depression was less and my anxiety was less. And even though I was going, even though I got let go from my job, like it should have skyrocketed, right? But I was reporting that I was better. And it was because I didn't have the mental bandwidth to ruminate on stressful stuff. I didn't have the mental bandwidth to ruminate on the negative. Um so did I feel different? No, I didn't feel any different, right? But I did report that I felt different and there was there was a change. Yeah, I mean
1: it's it reminds me of something that there's a kind of a I guess a famous psychiatrist in this space called Peter Bregan, and he used to talk about ECT um being like a minor traumatic brain injury and the parallels between that and other minor traumatic brain injuries and how you could almost you know that yeah there is a blunting but sometimes there's also a a slight euphoria that goes along with with brain damage which is terrible to think about um and i mean that's that's kind of what what he said and i sort of kind of remember that um and so maybe yeah maybe TMS especially when it's having this very negative effect like it was having on you uh one you've it's kind of wiping everything out I mean it's wiping out your cognition and your executive functioning but maybe it's taking away some of those faculties that were leading to your depression and anxiety it's um kind of all together and so maybe you feel better but you don't realize that you've been brain damaged essentially and it's really hard to i mean that's the other thing that again you know talking about peter Bregan, that he would go on go on about was the inability of patients who were on psychiatric medications or who had received treatments to realize the degree of the the their oh. altered cognition and their mood because it's it's hard to self observe when it's happened to your brain you know people yeah. around you might be able to tell and see that but the ability of the actual person is it, it's skewed you know because because they're yeah so I,
0: I don't know if you relate to that <laughs> no um actually one of the first things i ended up reading were these papers that i got from bregan on anagosia i don't even know how agnosia like that's the technical term for exactly what yeah. you're mentioning right like you lose this self-awareness of what you're going through and the harm that's it's exactly like how i classify what i was going through and and Pragan did a really, really good job at looking at. Now you don't, you see all this really good research and these studies and stuff, um, and they really don't address that too much. Um, I mean, it's not of a huge consequence like after you get hurt, but it is import, really important, I think, for people to know that when it's actively happening, that's what's going on. And then um, some of the research that I did afterwards on electrical harms, um, some of the experts that I talked to were saying that um, your endocrine system kind of like, turns on when you're going through the brain trauma and you actually, exactly what you said, you could feel a little bit better, you know? And then, so here's the next part that I was gonna go to. I was seeing these neurologists and kind of messing around with things for about three months. And then um, I developed this really severe lower back injury. I developed extreme anxiety and panic that was happening. Like every time I would go out into public, I would panic. And this wasn't because I was stressed and I didn't understand it. It would just be like, it would be like getting hit in the face with a bucket of water. And I mean that because like, I'm not expecting it. Like I'm not stressed to go out. But when I go out, my brain just starts panicking. And I'm literally like observing my consciousness is observing myself panic. So I'm literally like calm. And then all of a sudden, I just feel like panic just flood my body like physiologically. And, and I'm just want to scream and run. And I'm literally sitting there and I'm like, why am I experiencing this right now? I don't understand. But my body's freaking out. But my mind's like, this is weird. Um, and it's just a really unique experience. And at first, I just thought, oh, well, that's me panicking it's just different now or, or whatever. But then I started to understand, and then I had this extreme uh, depression and fatigue that showed up, but it was the, it was the delayed injury. Um, You get an ECT, you get it with uh, repetitive electrical exposure is that your endocrine system kind of like hangs in there for so long and it delays like this physiological response in your body. And then there's this breaking point where all of a sudden the real symptoms that were kind of being masked or however the delayed injury works start to onset. And then, so in that period of a few months, I actually started looking for other jobs. I was like kind of being proactive in doing these things. I tried to go back to work. I got another job back at the bank at the same company and um, it was exceptionally difficult. I, you know, and I I knew I couldn't do it because my cognition was bad, but I hadn't experienced like the full brunt of what would happen. And um, after It was right in that three to six month time frame, these really, really horrendous symptoms started coming on that um, at first I thought I was stressed. I thought I was being depressive about my life sucking and my problems with cognition and stuff. But Mm -hmm. the more time went on, I realized that my thinking patterns were kind of normal, um, even though they were like slower and blunted. But I was experiencing like extremely tired and extremely depressed and i yeah. was anxious well, all of a sudden like, really anxious like a traumatic brain injury you know like
1: because that's what happens with a traumatic brain injury people are incredibly sleepy you know abnormally so that's probably the most prominent sign um, and i'd know, wake up in the morning that, exhausted
0: yeah go ahead. yeah
1: yeah and, and you know the other thing that comes to mind is um you, you know you talk about the parallels between I guess, coming off ECT or recovering after ECT and psychiatric drugs, you know, the people who are on multiple medications, when you start to peel away the drugs, sometimes, yeah, the, I mean, the anxiety spikes because of there's withdrawal, but also there, it's like their brain is coming back online and parts of, you know they they couldn't really realize the level of disability or the level of impairment before but when you start to peel back the level the layers they start to notice it and that's really stressful as well you know being there when they're kind of almost awakening again
0: yeah um i was in a really a haze for a really long time i mean number of years and just recently hopefully we can talk about a little bit about what i've been doing to recover at the end here but um as i've started to recover a little bit I've had a lot of those moments where like, I've been super stressed out just because like, I'm feeling more and like I'm more aware of what's going on and what I'm experiencing. Where in the past, I was in such a haze, sometimes I was really thankful for it because I'd wake up each morning and I wouldn't remember anything that I'd been through the previous day. And it may have been really horrendous, and, but like I, I got to start over. And some people look at that as a negative, right? But lately I've been thinking about, I'm like, maybe that's a really important mechanism of protection like i really couldn't be as traumatized from the repetitive horrible days as i should have been just because my cognition just like every day i wake up is like like groundhog day like for years like for me um and and so
1: you know the other thing that i'm imagining you're going to tell me in your story and i'll be surprised if it doesn't turn up is doctors diagnosing your depression as worsening, you know, when you start complaining about these things. I I mean, that, does that does that make an appearance in this story as
0: well? Um actually ironically, well, on the paperwork, um, it did. Yeah. Sorry, I'm one off. Um and then uh but what happened was so in that time I said I was laid off from work. Mm-hmm I was studying this stuff and I started meeting up with other people that had had TMS injury and it took me quite a while to find them and to figure it out. But, um, but I did. And then I started, I started reading. There was, um, I couldn't read very well. Actually, I couldn't read it all at first. I could read one sentence before my brain kind of started to hurt. And, um, but I had, I had Robert Whitaker's book, anatomy of an epidemic and Peter Ghosh's book, um, uh, deadly medicine and organized crime. And someone had recommended them to me and I was, and it was like this missing piece of the puzzle. And I had the book, but I hadn't read it yet. And I was like, I'm going to finish this book. If I have to read one sentence a day, I will. And, um, it speaks. I mean, I'm sure you have an anecdote for this where you've seen it, that the brain really is amazing and can heal and do this incredible stuff. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was retraining my brain. I read one sentence, I put the book away for the day. The next day I try to get up, get going. I read like a sentence or two. And then I, after three months, I realized my reading level was almost normal. Like I'd read, you know, like 20 pages a day, you know, and it'd be fine. And then before I knew it, I I had completed the books. Um, but as I was going through this, I got really lucky because some of the people that I ran into that have been harmed by TMS, they were really keyed into the problems of psychiatry. So when I went to see doctors, I was like, I wasn't overtly aggro, but on the inside, I was like, do not try to pull any shit on me. Like, don't, just like, don't do it. Right. Like, I'm just, I'm not going for it. So they would kind of like hint at that stuff and trying to like, kind of like psychiatrize me more. And I'd be like, I'd be like, nope. Like, I had a brain injury from TMS. That's what we're treating. We don't need to treat anything else. Um, and they would offer me stuff. And I would be like, no, I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Um, and I think they picked up on that uh, to their credit, and they they didn't really try to to do that too much and I ended up with a really really good neurologist he was he was a little bit younger i mean he was he was maybe forty probably- probably in his late thirties, and he was really interested in cognition and um when I started explaining it to him right um he knew it was a brain injury he knew exactly like the way, and he and he kind of illuminated a lot of things that I was experiencing that I didn't understand yet and so Again, I got really like he's like he's like none of these class of drugs are going to help you. He's like I don't I don't want. He's like if you want me to prescribe them, I will. He said, but I won't. I think it's going to you know embellish your brain injury and cause more problems. He's it's like he gonna deals be, with. It's
1: going to be time, right? That that's pretty much it. Did did he yeah. did he liken it to a traumatic brain injury and kind of the prognosis
0: and the time to improvement? So yeah, yeah I, I mean I'm sure you get this right. He's kind of like. I can only write down so much because I don't, it's not, this is not classical. So, this is what we're gonna do. And he started telling me, like, he had other patients that were like pro athletes, like hockey players and stuff. And he's like, this is what I'm doing with them. You know, he's like, it, he's like, there's nothing, it's just time, he's all you eat well you're as active as you can be you know all these good behaviors and he said and then it's just like we just have we just wait and we just I try to I stick in there with you over time and we we pull up and we talk and we discuss options we do this stuff and it was it was really fantastic it feels really like you're not like your hands are tied because you're just kind of pulling up and trying to think of things and you know there's all these things you know that are bad idea right but not much that you can actually do like to heal your brain except for to just give it this environment where it can go so Mm -hmm. so different than the classical like doctor patient interaction right where you go in and they feel obligated to give you a script and
1: yeah he wasn't like the, the treatment for recovery from a traumatic brain injury is like you know don't make it worse by throwing drugs on it unless like Unless the person is so disorganized that they're having crazy agitation, which is harmful to others. I mean, you have to leave it alone. And just like he did with you, it's like sleep as much as you can, you know, eat great food. And let's just see kind of where, where things look, you know, in the, in the course of months to, to unfortunately sometimes years, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, yeah. I really lucked out. But again, um, I don't think it gets talked about a lot, but handling your doctor is so important you know, like your doctor, your doctor works for you. You don't work for him. You don't have to go in there and make him happy. You know, like if you know what you don't want to do, like just be upfront. And if your doctor is trying to do something that you don't think is appropriate, you shouldn't see them anymore. Just try to go Mm -hmm. see someone else. I know it's maybe an oversimplification and a lot of people are in really rough spots where they got to, they have to put up with stuff in order to, uh, like you said, withdraw and make sure they have what they need to do that and stuff. But Um, there's there's so much stigma, there's so much bad stuff around this old classical idea of just going and just doing what your doctor tells you. And I remember that had a, has a part to how I was raised and it took me a while. I was over it psychologically, but emotionally I wasn't quite like, I was scared every time I went into the doctor being like, all right, I'm going to leave if, if this happens, or I'm not going to let them like do this or that, or I'm going to have to say no. Like it was really, I was really stressed about it. But yeah, I mean, how scary is that?
1: I mean, after you read Peter Goethe's book, book, you're just like, oh my God, you know, that like, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm in a dangerous place. Um, it's, it's lucky you found someone so good. Um, you know, James, something I'm, I'm interested in is, um, you, t- just tell, tell me about the trajectory of your improvement. Like what was like the date and month that you finished, um, uh, I guess TMS and then talk to us about like the milestones and improvement. I mean, maybe you're fully recovered now, maybe you're not, but just kind of how it progressed over months to years. I think that's really important uh, for people to know.
0: Yeah, I I really, want to cover that. Um, so I, for a long time I, I figured out, I tried to figure out what happened to me. I tried to get lawyers to help me out. I focused on all these things. Um, you know, that I thought were really important after my injury. And I think it's because I didn't know how to recover. Um, I did, I like, I went to therapy like twice a week, you know, I ate well, I tried to be as active as I could. I did all these things hoping it would just work out. And I know those were really good decisions, but I really, I didn't, I didn't know. And maybe I still don't know in a lot of ways, like how, how difficult it is to really recover from, from a really, really serious brain injury. So so this, this is how it went for me. Um, and I, in but in trying to figure it out, I think I was, people get really, really caught up like, Oh, I'll take these supplements. Same thing with me. I'll take these supplements. I'll find, I'll find these treatments that'll work. And, and, and then I'll just, and I'll get there. And I have friends that, that are still on that path and they still do the same thing. But after a couple of years, I was like, the same supplements do not work for anybody. Right? Like, and the people that they do work for, I'm not, I'm not real sure, you know, how, how really life-changing it was, you know, like small little improvements and stuff. You know, it's just, it's just arguable. It's not as good of a situation. I thought same thing with treatments, um, different, you know, rehabs and stuff have, you know, some better results and they're more, there's, there's less danger involved. You know, there's less blowback involved. So they're, they're safer. That's better. Um, obviously medications are really problematic and dangerous. Um, the alternative treatments, some can be the same for that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so what i realized fairly early on was like there's a lot of bs in here there is a lot of bs in here um so i need to be really careful and really pay attention so over the years i really and I, I didn't have a lot of money because i lost my job right i had virtually no money um so i was like and I, I can't afford like some people are like they're paying 10 20 grand at a time on these crazy treatments stuff i'm like I, even if I wanted to, I couldn't do it. Like maybe I could beg a relative or something to pay for something if I was sure it would work. But I never walked away with that assurance, even from the people that said they benefited. I was like, it's not life changing. I mean, a small jump. I don't, I don't know. You know. So, so over the years, I was, I was healthy. I was as active as I could be. I ate as well as I could. I went through these really strict diet things. Um, I tried to be as positive as I could, and. I mean, I made really, really small progress. I'm saying looking back on, on a year at a time, it's been five years almost exactly right now. Um, but for the first two years, I mean, for the first year I went backwards. I, things got worse for the first year. Um, around the second year, I think things stabilized about when I was about year, about a year and a half out, things stopped getting worse and I think they started to stabilize. Around that time, I really wanted to buckle down to see how significant diet was in, in, um, in my recovery. And I did the, um, a candida diet where I cut out like all offending things. And I actually had some good improvement from that. But the diet, it was really hardcore. And I would, I'd go through these periods of die-off where I'd feel way worse. And then after I did like the first 90 days of being really strict, I felt a lot better after that. Um, I was still in really bad shape. But I saw these improvements and I actually had these moments. I remember they came out in like five minutes at a time where I would feel clear. I'd actually feel like I could think well. And, um, that, that blew my mind. And so I stuck with that for the next, next, next about two years. Um, I wasn't perfect with it. I would relapse and kind of eat stuff I wasn't supposed to, and then kind of get real strict again and stuff. And, but my progress was really marginal. Um, I mean, like a couple, like if you had to look at in terms of healing 100%, like a couple percent a year, I'm looking back and I'm like, am I better? I'm like, I can't really tell. And really, my wife would be like, you know what? I, I feel like you're remembering a little bit more. You know, I feel like your attitude's a little bit better. She'd be like, I feel like you you definitely improved this year, even though it's small. And then I'd be like, okay, you know, like I don't yeah. I don't feel much improved, but when I really think about it, I'm a little bit improved. I, could, I can go along with that. Okay you know um and it gave me some hope too that i was progressively maybe improving slowly so i mean come up to about the four-year mark um i don't know how and when i ran into it and again i'll give this warning to anybody because it worked for me just like any other thing i don't i don't know if it'll work for everybody else but i started listening to podcasts and i got some information about fasting and um there was this gal in my group that came into the group um, a while before that. and It was really interesting because she's like she was pretty, hurt pretty bad. And then one day she just made a post in the group. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not. I wasn't able to verify it through her because at the time I was in bad shape and I didn't follow up with her. But she, she just posted. She said, I read my Bible and I fasted and I'm better. And I, I'm going to I'm gonna leave the group because it's kind of depressing being in here, right? And so half of me was like, okay, whatever. And the other half was like, and there's no way for me to tell if that's true or not. I, I don't know. So I just kind of was like, this is interesting, but whatever. Um, but then these, um, I started hearing me up fasting some more. And there was these podcasts and different things that started popping up. And uh, I had always remembered that she had said that. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. It's natural, right? Like, You don't have to fast any more than you want to. So you can control the risk with it. And um, I always thought historically, our ancestors had to go through famines. Like they went through times without food. Like it seems reasonable to me that if you can't survive without food for a little bit, like it's, you know, you got to be able to do it. So, So I started reading and researching it a bit more. And I was super impressed with the things that I was seeing. And it really seemed to be coming from people that had like this functional lived experience with it. And it wasn't like just studies where people were really far removed and you know, it didn't really translate very well. So I started doing these small fasts, like I'd fast for a day and then I'd feel like horrible that day. Um, and then the next day I would kind of come back online and I'd be like, uh, okay, whatever. But then like a day or two after that, I realized I was feeling much better than av- my average day. And, um, So I'd give myself a break for a little bit and I'd be like, okay, maybe I'll fast for two days. I fasted for two days. Same thing, except for it was a little bit exaggerated. Um, so I didn't feel good when I was fasting. was kind of miserable. Um, came back online, didn't feel great for the day after, but I was glad to eat. And then like the second, third, fourth day, I started feeling really, really good. And then I would kind of taper off back into kind of feeling normal. Um, so what ended up happening was then once I realized it was doing something really, really positive for me, I so I did like four, five, six of those like two or three day fasts. And um I actually was I was planning fasts around doing stuff with my family so I could actually enjoy like the stuff they were doing instead of kind of being miserable all the whole time. And um and I was like, This this is working. Like it, it worked. And um I started looking about looking at stuff about prolonged water fasts prolonged water only fasts and um the science i thought was really provocative they did it a lot like back before um the magic bullet before the 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 medicalized pill medication right in the 30s and stuff they would fast people for all kinds of ailments and stuff and and longer and um, i've read some books on that stuff super provocative stuff to me it was really really stimulating and it rang really really true to the experience that i had and this kind of historical perspective that I had, that like, well, we didn't always have food, so there has to be this fasting mechanism in your body that works, like, for humans to be able to survive. Like, it just kind of made sense. Where supplements and all these other things, like, it just didn't make great sense to me.
1: I mean, I'm so curious. So, like, what's a prolonged fast? Like, wh- like, wh- what? How do you define that? Is that, I guess, is two days prolonged? I mean, that sounds pretty long to me. Like, how? Like, what? What is a prolonged fast?
0: You're ready to have your mind blown right now? Yeah. Yeah. so a prolonged fast is considered yeah. anything longer than a week oh my so God. okay we're talking to something longer than five to seven days so i'm reading all this material and like there's these clinics that do prolonged fasts and all this stuff right and like i don't have the money or really the means to do that and so i've been i've been sick for like four years like four and a half years four oh years God. yeah and um i'm just like i'm like i don't care like I feel like i learned this material really well i probably read like over 700 pages worth of like kind of clinical like reports and really non-biased information from doctors that practice prolonged fast so i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna do this at home and i'm gonna have everything i need i have i had a concierge doctor at this point which we're always kind of flipping doctor's crap but there's great doctors out there like you and my concierge doctor i was like i don't have the money to pay you so he's like i don't care i'll see you for free right? So wow. he sees me whenever I want, just walk into his office, set up an appointment, whatever. He does his best for me. Excellent. Excellent dude. You know? Um, so, but I have him on my back pocket. So I text him. I'm like, I'm thinking about doing this prolonged water fast. I really need some sort of supervision, someone to be able to do my blood work if I need it. And if I'm not feeling well or whatever, to kind of help me out. And he's like, no problem. He's like, I did a juice fast for like 30 days, a long time ago. It was fantastic for me. Like I'm i t- I'm yeah. And he says, I think you're, I think you're well enough. I don't see any reason you can't do this. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, Joseph, I, I did not eat for 23 days. Oh my God.
1: Okay. Yeah. We, was that the target or was that just when you like were kind of like had to be peeled off the floor, you know, from <laughs>
0: yeah. no, no, that, that's a great question. I read, there was this study done at a fasting clinic with this lady who had, she had had a brain injury from an accident. And um, she had had a headache for 12 years. For 12 years she went to neurologists. She said on a scale of one to 10, it was an eight. So she had a level eight headache is what she said for 12 years. And I think she's kind of debating on maybe like ending her life or just like kind of giving up on life and just going from doctor to doctor, you know, like really bad. But she ended up going to the fasting clinic because um, there's these neurological benefits, she did a 40-day fast. And on, I think it was around the 30th day, her headache went away. This is what she reported. And then yeah. it came back like a few days later. But that's the first time in 12 years she had ever caught a break from it. So in in the paper that they wrote up, she she then, she after 40 days, she you kind of have, I think, this emotional breakdown point and like where you just can't really go any faster. And 40 days is the longest they've ever really recorded any kind of benefit from fasting so they say beyond 40 days like you're just not benefiting anymore so 40 days comes she talks to the doc doc's like you're not you're not doing so hot anymore you know the headache's back we should stop she stops they refeed and go through this big process of eating again which is a really big deal it's it's because it's because you have
1: to do that carefully right you can't just Uh, have people start eating again it's like slowly reintroducing things because what you have like
0: metabolic abnormalities that are really severe if you overdo it right absolutely so I wasn't particularly afraid of fasting for 23 days for as long as I I really did as long as I could but on the day when I started eating again I was scared to death I had not eaten for so long I was so scared that somehow I was going to hurt myself Eating again, and I—I I had read all the literature. I knew exactly how to do it. I was extremely careful, and it worked perfectly for me. Um, but I was scared to death, which is weird, right? It's like not eating seems scary, but then eating again is, is much more was much more scary to me. Um, so this gal, she forty days, she refeeds, and the and she's like, she was she was so encouraged by the fact that her headache had relented. She talked to the doctor clinic. She's like, when can I come back and fast again? It's just wild, right, and the doc says, well, you have to eat. you have to eat for six months, like six months mm-hmm. healthy eating um and then we could try it again if you want. She comes back she does it again, headache goes away she's fine after that at least as she reported you know in the paper that they wrote up and stuff so based on this, I had read this because I had reached out and there's a there's a water fasting group on Facebook um finding things about Tbi that are specific to head injury with prolonged water fasting is hard because it's already kind of a niche thing there's a lot of evidence on there from earlier on in history and there's mm-hmm. um uh, true north clinic does it in california now and um alan goldhammer run, runs it and you can get some interviews with him and they have some good information out there but um i found this article that was specific to tbi because someone i had made a post in the water fasting group i was like hey does anyone ever heard about water fasting for a brain injury you know of you everyone in here is water fasting for some other reason most of them are trying to lose weight you know and one person a few people responded without much help and then one person was like i read an article about a lady who did 240 day fasts and she found she found relief or she healed from a head injury and then he didn't know where it was though so i had to go find it but i found it so and when was i was that, fast one you told told us about right the, with the headache that go better yeah okay exactly Yeah. same yeah. thing um, so when I did it, I was really <laughs> i my goal was to hit the forty day mark um but I knew that was like just like totally insane. and the more you read about it, it's very clear in the literature and then if you hear testimonials, it's very clear that like you only fast until you need to stop like when your body's sending you signals that you need to stop or you go into starvation instead of fasting because physiologically, there's a difference in how your body handles it. Like it goes, it's feeding on its reserves until there's no more reserves. And then you start seeing these really unpleasant things that we associate with starvation, but really you don't get them in fasting. But
1: what, what's the difference if you could just boil it down quickly for me between uh, fasting and starvation, like physiologically, how it feels like, what, what do you look for to, to know when you've tipped too far?
0: Yeah, um, I I wish I knew what starvation feels like because I don't. Um, yeah. But it's just what I've read. When I was fasting though, you um, it's really odd. People tend to think you're bonkers, but you, the the first week of fasting, you really feel unpleasant. You're really bored because you don't have meals to kind of sync up your day, and you're really agitated. Not to mention like you feel really, really hungry. Like there's all these unpleasant sensations and you might even get pains and stuff, transient pains in different parts of your body. But then the weird thing is after that first week or so, and this is what happened to me, like I totally relaxed. I didn't want food anymore. Um, I was relatively happy, which was kind of odd for me. Right. Um, cause I was dealing with these ups and downs of physiological, like anxiety and depression. Um, and after that first week, I was like, I just I just hang around and rest, and that's it. And you really feel very normalized. And um, you drink, you have to drink plenty of water, right? And that's how it felt. Now, when you slip into starvation, um, you start. You're supposed to when your hunger comebacks comes back is supposed to be one of the biggest signs. When you get re- you'll all of a sudden get really 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 hungry, and that's supposed to be a sign that you're coming up on starvation. But then like you start having other physiological problems that start to manifest. I think you start to get really, really weak. You get weak when you're fasting. Like you can't get up quickly, right? You have to get up slower and do these different things, but I never lost my strength. Really? Like I slowly kind of was more tired, more a little bit more lethargic. It was kind of like at this steady cadence though. But when you hit starvation, I think that that drops off. Like you lose all your strength. You stop getting out of bed. Um, you know, and and you're extremely hungry and agitated, different things like that. Um, and there's supposed to be this big turnover point with, for it, and yeah,
1: yes. Yeah, so, so tell us what I mean. I'm I'm aching to know what what happened uh, uh, for you therapeutically uh, because of this.
0: Yeah, it was it was totally it was totally nuts. So the really interesting thing that I want to mention is that after that first week, I. I started getting interested in things like since my injury, like I'm cognitively, cognitively just like kind of screwy every day and fuzzy. I really, don't take an interest in anything. My only interest is kind of like getting through my day, right, and like doing what's what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. After the first week of fasting, like I got out this journal and I started writing recipes that I wanted to make for the food that I wanted to eat. Then I was done fasting, which is um, you see, you, some people might think like oh, that's normal. You're like fantasizing about food while you're fasting. That seems standard. But like, I don't really cook. Like I really don't have any interest in food except for eating it. But all of a sudden I became like really interested in like what it takes to cook and to bake and to make meals and all the different ingredients and all this stuff. Um, I started like reading more and taking more interest in things. And when I reflect back on it, I feel like my brain became really plastic during that period. And that, All, all the negative rumination and stuff that I had before that point, they were all entirely gone. Like when I would wake up, I'd be like, Hmm, what do I want to do today? I wasn't like, I hate my life. I'm miserable. Like, I don't want to get out of bed. Like that was kind of my standard for a while. Um, so So, so how
1: how many days into it did it kick in where you were just like, Oh shit, it's gone. Like I'm interested in things again and I feel good. Like, like what day did that kick in?
0: about the seven to ten day mark if I remember right it was like about after the first week somewhere in there yeah it's like uh, yeah. it's not a small sacrifice like yeah really just yeah. like check that right no, you're like there's
1: no dipping your toes into this <laughs> yeah yeah and, and and here's the other thing I want to know how would like what did your wife think about this when you're just like hey sweetheart I'm gonna go
0: for 40 days I'm not gonna eat you know i would have i probably would have forgot to bring that up but it's excellent no yeah she's like no you're not she's like this is stupid you're not doing it i had to work i was kind of convinced that i wanted to fast about probably at least like two or three months before i actually did it and i knew that if i was going to do it i had to work on my wife that was my that was my hurdle like she was not going to let me do it i had to work on her every day and start showing her the evidence Like, usually, you know, when you try to convince your wife of something or something or other, you're like, okay, just talk to them a little bit. Get them familiar with the idea. And and eventually, they'll cave, right? No. It was like, I had to, like, pull the excerpts out of the books. Like, I had to get the research. I had to, like, give her – I had to leave no question in her mind that it would be okay. And then I had to get my doctor on board. Like, there's this backup plan. You know, all this stuff because – yeah. She's like, she's like, you, you're stupid. Like, she's like, no way. There's no, that's not happening. Like how long? Like, no, yeah. she's like, you can fast for a couple this days.
1: of This lady, like in the forties, you know, <laughs> maybe in like some European country somewhere, you know, who, who did it for 40, yeah, 43 days.
0: Yeah. It's she safe. was not having yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. But I did, I got her to... over. Yeah. I got her over the hurdle with the caveat that we're just doing this day by day and as much as i wanted to make it 40 days i had to do the same thing it's like if you don't feel right on a certain day you have to stop and that is eventually what happened on day 23 i woke up i felt a lot more confused i started panicking which i hadn't experienced at once during the fast and i and i started worrying about all this stuff that i hadn't worried about before and um And I and I got I started getting really upset thinking that I was gonna break my fast before I wanted I wanted to try to make it to day thirty is what it was. Um because that was I just saw that as like such a, a far mark. Um but like think just that morning, like it was just anarchy and it was completely different than every other day on my fast. And I was I was getting more and more upset. I didn't feel right, I felt confused, and I was like and I was really scared about eating again too was another thing. I was like, I've gone so long without eating, I don't know how to eat. I knew on paper exactly what routine I needed to go through. But so that was how I ended up breaking. In. I was like, all right, you just need to ingest something besides water and slowly start doing that. Um, and then to go into what happened after, I can talk about that if you want.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- t- tell me about that. I'm noticing that I'm. Um... That, that I'm, pu- I'm pushing up five minutes here. I'll have to probably have to get you on again to finish, to, to finish this properly. But if you can, in the next five minutes, tell me what, what happened with you mentally, uh, I guess, coming out of this.
0: Yeah. So this is, this is where things get really, really, as, as if the fast wasn't crazy enough. These things, if you got incredible, I started eating again. And when I started eating again, everyone will tell you this, right? They're like, food tastes so good. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, you haven't eaten that long. Food tastes so good. But for us, people that have had severe agitation or changes to their emotional state because of the physiological changes of like a drug or electrical treatment or something. Right. Experiencing that was like having this huge flood of neuronal activity, emotional activity, all this stuff that we're really devoid of and really hard up to get. You get this big rush of it. And when I started eating, Joseph, I hadn't been happy for a while before I got TMS. And then this Mm -hmm. is like four and a half years after TMS. Like the most happiness I've ever had is like a three on a scale of like one to 10. That was like my best day, right? Yeah. I was like, it skyrocketed to like an eight or a nine. Like I was so, yeah. I can't imagine what was going on in my brain from that. You know, it's like, it just felt so happy, so healthy and so good. I felt it through my whole body, like I could feel the happiness like from my head and my toe. my body felt like positive and good, and everything just seemed to kind of come back online um and it's just the pause. i I was so freaked out. I actually got a few days of this. I got scared because I felt so good all the time, like I had so much positive emotion. I'm like, I feel like some sort of weird happiness robot, like it's being forced down my throat almost. Cause I was so used to like feeling negative and, um, and then one night, I don't know why I was laying in bed one night, um, watching like a cartoon. Sometimes I'll watch cartoons with my kids or something, you know? And, um, I was, I was at like a 10, like on my happiness scale. I was like, I've never as far back as I can remember to being a kid and like sitting outside and like eating a popsicle or something and like staring off into creation and being like, life is awesome. And you're just a kid doing whatever you want. That's how I relate it. Like at that moment, that's how good I felt. And, um, after that, the more I ate, I started, I ate some stuff I wasn't supposed to. I did a few things and things kind of equalized for me and I didn't feel as good all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But I still, but I did, I had this healthier range, but I could still get really happy. Like if cool things were going on. Right. But other days, maybe I, I didn't feel great. Right. If I ate bad for a few days in a row, I mean, I did stupid stuff like, wow, I eat pizza and hamburgers and ice cream and stuff. It's just like for people, for us, like that are harmed, like that just can have really bad consequences. You know, I'd feel like crap for like a day after that, you know? And so I, I went up and down for a while after that, like kind of binging and then like trying to be healthy again and stuff. And then, um, just, so that lasted for a couple months. And then just recently I went like whole food vegan because I'm just trying to keep it as clean, as simple as possible. And that's what they recommend at the fasting clinic. And so I started feeling a lot more balanced and a lot more positive on a lot On just a really consistent basis but i really have to keep my food locked in really 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 well and um but this is still worlds better than what i was at going into the fast so things materially changed in a dramatic way after your
1: fast i mean you had stepped up to a new level of i guess cognitive functioning and 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 mood right like that like the 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 level seems to have lifted
0: yeah well, you excellent question. This is where I sh- should have naturally gone to next. So this is not really an emotional perspective. Um, yeah. I've had, I think I've had some cognitive improvements, right? I think my memory's working a little bit better. There's some stuff going on. But I do know that a lot of my impairments that I had in the past are still there. Like, it's, it's, I have muscle fasciculations, right? Like, I have pain and stuff. And a lot of this stuff really seemed to improve. Sorry, alarm. Um, a lot of this stuff really seemed to improve after my fast, but then I kind of fell back in. And so I'm still, I'm still struggling a lot from Mm -hmm. the symptomology that I had before. So I had this really big kind of miraculous change. Right. And like emotionally, like, I'm just a lot better footing than I used to be. But when you're talking about earlier, you asked me like, ask me about your recovery or you're fully recovered, whatever. Like I am, am I'm not fully recovered. Something really cool happened. I've learned a lot as of late but Mm -hmm. i'm still really really working at it and i still have like some really big hurdles you know in front of me but
1: okay so james here's what i'm going to do i'm going to stop the recording now i'm going to get your cell, and i'm going to like find a time to do the second half of this because i need to (laughs) ask you about the tms groups and everything like that and (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) no 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 hi so um you know you were just talking to me about the fast that you were going through and and one thing that kind of stuck out to me was you know when you're fasting you're you're kind of burning ketones and i was thinking about like the ketogenic diet did you have any thoughts about doing like a ketogenic diet after you had all these these real like improvements in your
0: mood following this massive fasted state yeah um yeah those are excellent thoughts and that stuff has been really stimulating to me when i've looked at it and thought about it. Um, I have this, I've had, this, I developed this weird kind of complex about stuff since, um, since I got hurt by TMS and I started looking at all these different treatments and all these diets and all this stuff. And I, there was a point a little while ago where I like certain aspects of each diet that I was doing seemed to help. And then other ones didn't. And, um, I at one point I came down to just thinking like geez it seems that everything that everything that's working for me or that is positive is just stuff that our ancestors used to eat like like if you eat fruits and vegetables like just and that's it like just whole foods like I seem to do a little bit better um okay with so with keto like I kind of considered it and then I started kind of getting into the weeds on like what to eat and like What not to eat and stuff. And then Mm -hmm. I just kind of let it go. And I was like, I'm just going to go with this whole foods thing for now. And, um, and eat, I think the way that I think we're genetically predisposed to handle the best, you know, Mm -hmm. I got this weird thing. Ideologically, like if it doesn't make sense, like I have a hard time grabbing onto it. And with that, like it was ideologically, this makes the most sense to me. So I was going with it. Um, I've been really interested in ketones and I've seen stuff about it and like on the fast and different things, I, I could feel a shift in my mental attitude when supposedly I'm pretty much just utilizing ketones like to, uh, to exist or to keep myself going. Um, and it was, it was really interesting, but, um,
1: yeah, cause I've seen like, you know, Chris pay, uh, sorry, no, Chris, um, Chris Palmer, um, Uh, the brain energy guy talks a lot about it and you know i've seen some of his his presentations and in some of the really hardcore ketogenic diets like like they're they're using like mtc oil like it's it's not just like cutting out like carbs and eating high fat foods like he's actually supplementing with additional like oils and things like that which i thought was like I mean, it really starts to look like more of like a medical treatment, like I'm going to force you into ketosis now. Um, And that's like, I guess, I think that's how they do it for epilepsy or really severe cases of epilepsy. Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. Uh, That's really interesting. Um, And I'm, I'm super, most things like I kind of look at and disregard now. I'm like, I, you know, I've, I've been here. I've seen that like now that's something I'm very interested in. And I, I've continued to monitor and I talk to people that do it see how they're doing. Um, but for instance, like MCT oil before I had done my fast, I haven't tried it after my fast, but, um, it actually, it was, I, I kind of had some energy from it a little bit, which is good. But then on the second or third day that I was doing it, I developed inner akathasia, which since yeah since i've been injured when i try supplements or i've tried like certain medications that's what will happen like i'll i might be able my body might accept it for a few days and then i start having this extreme reaction and i usually don't sleep for at least a few days sometimes like a week you know um so because of that like some again some of the language in there some of the things that they're pushing i'm like i know i haven't reacted well to this um or i have some reason to kind of like for a little bit of disbelief and then so i kind of tailor my own stuff to it and i try to look at what's the back what's the backstop for it right like i feel like part of it's like just eating whole foods and what you're meant to eat like maybe genetically you're from a different region like of the planet so you respond better to some stuff than others um maybe not but i feel like that's what's behind it and then we kind of get really scientific and start pushing this really angular kind of stuff like you said and getting strict and then i think that's the part where medicine right we keep trying to apply the same answer to everybody instead of accepting that, like we need a different answer for everybody, but you, we can use the guiding principles. Yeah. That make, makes
1: sense to me. Um, and, um, so the, I mean, the other thing that struck me as well, it was like talking to you, you said, you know, I'm not all the way uh, better yet, but you know, your mood has lifted. Um, and this is frustrating i know this is frustrating for people with probably the tms in, in, injuries and other folks is when i talk to you i wouldn't know that you have a, had a disability you know or or that you had um you know a traumatic brain injury from it and that's the case with a like a lot of the people who have the benzo injuries who i talk to oh, a yeah. lot you know they they can put on a brave face maybe they're a little depressed and and such, but no way does their outwards appearance kind of reflect how they're feeling on the inside. So I was hoping you could kind of catch me up now, you know, here you are five years after. What What do you think of as like your main, the, the main deficits that you experience on like an ongoing basis today?
0: Yeah, um, you bring up a really good point, which early on, I realized, yeah. uh, sidebar for a sec on what you said, but it was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. I realized that I felt a lot better when I was interacting with people like, human communication and community like it does something for your mental health like it it is really temporary because you can't like always be in community or it kind of wears off if you interact with some people too much it may be more difficult right like but exchanging ideas and doing this stuff is a really positive stimulus for the brain and i've been really interested in that um and i think that goes a lot to what you're saying a lot of people seem really fine but for me um so I ran into this stuff called, you, I'm sure you're aware of it, like brain training a while ago and these ideas that go along with neuroplasticity of, you know, we have these thoughts that we really dig out in our mind and we tend to go back there and, um, and get stuck there. And then when we're in there, like that's what creates extreme anxiety and depression if it's um, based on your thoughts, it's not a physiological thing. Um, is because you keep returning to these thoughts. that get really cyclical, and then they're so well trained in you that all you have to do is start to think about it, and then you might just think that one thing for like a week, you know, and and be totally depressed about your life sucking or whatever, right? Um, so what I realized with the, the TMS injury and stuff is that you know there's all this time where you're not engaging people, and you have to think about your own problems and solve your own stuff, and. My cognition was limited for, for a time and I had to deal with all these really like kind of traumatic and difficult things in my life and, and just figure a way to cope with them. And then I realized that waking up and feeling exhausted every day and then getting up and doing things and then like if the light's too bright or whatever, then I start panicking and I'm extremely anxious for a while, right? And then, then I calm back down. All this stuff it built in these patterns where... I was now expecting these things to happen, so right, so even though I was likely getting better over time, I was still experiencing these symptoms because I was expecting to experience them, and before TMS, if you told me that, I'd be like, okay, you know, like, that that happens to people, but it's not as bad, or there, there's some way to kind of realize that, hey, that, you know, I'm fine, but I'm just emotionally attached mm-hmm. to these kind of stimuli, and that instigates things you know but and that might be true for someone before they're injured but when you've been injured that severely like those your reactions are a lot more severe and you get stuck in the fight or flight and it all becomes this really like really intense like severe circle like of symptoms so for myself I realized that man I like my mental my emotional reactions cause a physiological reaction that is really tight and really closely woven together so that it's really, really hard for me to tell that just having some thoughts and believing that I'm going to panic will make me panic. And um, I think around the four-year mark, I was starting to realize that 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 was playing a big role. Like I know that I had healed a little bit, but I was starting to, th- I had these moments, you know, of like like these small moments of clarity or, mm-hmm. you know, I would go out and interact and I felt really normal for a few hours and then I would go home and all of a sudden the moment I got home, I would feel terrible, right? And um, I started kind of like scanning my body and be like, am I really in as much pain as I think? Am i mean, really experiencing these really negative symptoms as bad as I was. And it turned out that I really wasn't. Um, or at least when I calmed myself down for long enough, like I didn't feel as bad as i thought that i was doing um mm-hmm. and so since then i've been kind of rethinking those things and trying and the fasting i think helped that process but um so I, now I, think, I feel yeah so i was
1: gonna say you bring up an interesting point which is that sometimes it it, it can be unclear because you when you go through something like this it's like you said, you learn new patterns, um, and you get in certain routines and even routines in the way you you're thinking and then I think what a lot of people don't realise about this type of thing as well is that almost this is my opinion, you know, I think almost everyone develops PTSD when they've gone through a, a severe drug injury. And so yeah. on top of the cognitive injury and the I guess the brain damage that happens, it's like their emotional system is it's like on edge. There is so many triggers that throw you back into that place all the time, and then it's like untang- Like, how do you untangle that? Okay, so you have a new kind of psychological disorder, PTSD, you know, and then yeah. we've got this resolving kind of brain injury, and then also, uh, I guess, these new patterns and maybe these new anchors of things around the house that kind of throw you back into to dark places. And yeah, it can be it can be really tricky
0: to to know what's what's what. Absolutely. Like you nailed it. Dealing with all those. And (laughs) I've always been like kind of a skeptic my my whole life and thought like, well, it can't really be like problems can't really get that bad. Right. Like you'll always like people can maybe complain too much or, you know, there's always a way through things. But what you're saying is absolutely true. And those things are so tightly woven and they're so hard. Like it feels entirely real. Like after you go something through that, go through something that traumatic, you know, like peeling back those layers and unwinding that stuff is, it yeah. feels virtually impossible. Like it, it, it completely and, um, controls you, you know,
1: let me ask you this. Are you, are you, are you able to work or are you still, I, I, I don't know what happened when you stopped working, whether you went on disability or, or, or whatnot. What was, Yeah. what, what's your situation now, I guess.
0: Yeah. I ended up on disability. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, when thinking about going back to work, I kind of measure for myself, um, you know, could you deal with a regular work environment? Um, And sometimes, you know, my family, different people have stuff that I'm always I can help out with if I want to. Sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm not feeling well, so I stay home, whatever. But so I don't always feel great, obviously. Everyone kind of deals with that. I think even when they recover, like maybe their bad days are a little bit worse than they used to be. So there's that. But then, like every once in a while, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna go. Like for instance, um, one of my family members needed something, like bolted and put it up in their garage, right? It was like a few hour task. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, you know what? I know I can do this. Like I'll do it on my own time, my own pace, no rush. Just go do it. It'll be a little experiment to see how well you would do, maybe in the workplace or if you had like city work. And I go in there and I start unboxing this stuff that i've I've already done this exact same job before on like for other people and um i i wish i knew better and maybe i should think about it more but like i don't know whether i was because i was in a foreign environment or whatever i'm doing but i'm unboxing this box and like my brain just starts panicking and screaming like something's wrong you know and i'm like oh i need to get out of here you know, it's almost like someone just fired a gun like right next to me or something and I became in a world danger. And like I, I sat, I just, I turned around, I sat down for like five minutes. And I'm like, everything's fine. Like, it's all good. Like you, you've done this before, like just reassuring myself. And again, I was working myself out of that mental training mm-hmm. that like my life's ruined. It's never, you know, it's never and I can't do this stuff. Like I'm just gonna keep panicking, freaking out, you know? And after like five, 10 minutes, I was like, started calming down a little bit. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to get up and do the same things that I've done so many times in the past. Like, you know, get the screws out, like start setting this up. I know I can be successful at it, start doing it. And then I started feeling good once I started doing the things that I was used to doing. Right. Yeah. And then the second I got to another turn in the project where I wasn't sure what to do, I got, freaking lost it again. Right. And then I had to go through the same process and calm myself down. But I was like, man, in the workplace, this would be, I think it would be more detrimental for me right now to go back and try again rather than to keep doing stuff like this or try to work up to a place where, you know,
1: that's, that's the way you got to do it. And I actually, uh, a lot of the staff that I work with in my practice, are uh, are drug injured people because, you know, we have, we have coaches who we use to support people who are going through the same thing. And, and some of the coaches go through the exact same thing. It's like this is this this may be their first kind of job back since being injured uh and um and i'll get calls and they're in a panic and it's like i can't do this you know you people are going to be relying on me and i just don't think i can be there for them i don't think i can perform at the level i want to and then we have to kind of it's okay take a deep breath you know i know that this is kind of your situation and don't worry we have the capacity to handle it and it's almost just by like kind of talking through that. Like the next day, they're fine. But it's it, it almost is like a trauma reaction. It's like, you know, I've been disabled for so long, you know, and 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 now kind of returning to this, it's like, oh my god, you know, am I am I going to be able to do this? And 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 they're doing great now. But it's like this kind of process of picking up more and more responsibility and and doing more of it. But I I kind of see that from the other side now, which is. Sounds similar to to that that story that that you just told.
0: Yeah, um, I can't thank you enough for doing what you're doing, and I'm like curious yeah. where you got your patience and understanding from because that's like the exact same things like so much of my career before. had like zero tolerance for that kind of stuff like as soon as anyone like shows any weakness or any inability it's kind of like immediately like oh i gotta do your work now too like everyone gets frustrated you know and groans about it and i don't i don't think at all that's the way human beings were meant to be and to socialize like i've seen so much success i've had been on a few teams where we had that attitude that you have where like if someone was sick or if anything got dropped everyone was kind of rushing to help them out, right? We're like, we're such a tight-knit team. We relied on each other so much for ideas and work. We're like, man, if someone stumbles, we're all so close. Like, We're just going to have each other's backs. And I saw the evidence in our work. Like, We were so much more effective and capable when we gave each other space. If we needed to take time off, we took time off. People were so much more willing to help each other out that the synergy was just off the charts. And um, I think that's really the direction that the workplace needs to go because people like you are, are really, really, really rare, but it, it's so helpful. Um, and I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. You I, kind of training myself out of a physiologic about a physiological response and a mental response, but you have to have the practical application, right? Like I have to have the good experiences with that, like to move mm-hmm. forward. Cause if you just keep dealing with failure in that realm, like, cause it's I mean, devastational like much, much... for people like us.
1: I mean, I... Well, I think you say that lightly because another thought I had before was um, you struck me just in in your upbringing and how how you kind of described your work habit, that you would be a man that was very uh, driven to accomplish, you know, to the point where you would spend a lot of time at work, probably working and achieving and and all of that was like, you know, like, I mean, a lot of men are like this, but I imagine particularly for you, just what I described, that was probably a really important part of who you were. So having that taken away from you kind of right, what sounds like at, at, at a point in your career where you really could have kind of, you know, burst through into to a high level. I mean, and then going through that trauma of being betrayed by the medical system in a way, we had this injury and you're this high achieving person probably identifying a lot with, hey, I'm, I'm here to succeed. I'm here to provide for my family. And it's just I can't imagine like what kind of hell that would have been like finding yourself on the other side of it. I I don't know if you could kind of, you know, speak to that, but I think for especially high achieving men like yourself who, who kind of went through that, that, uh, you mean, I thought about putting myself in that position and I mean, it kind of brought me to tears. I couldn't think about how, how challenging that would have been. Um, I, I don't know. Can you, can you speak
0: to that at all? Because I imagine that was really full on. Yeah. You nailed it and in our conversation as we as we talk about like peeling back like the trauma like the mental trauma and the physiological trauma that you're throwing me back to like the first year like when i lost my job and i lost so i was dealing with an injury and then whether it was then or it was going to happen later i mean i was going to lose my job right so then i lost my job and trying to figure both out at the same time like i'm still trying to unpack unpack that and understand like the role it had Um, every time I start failing at something, like I start panicking. Right. And I was just doing something today. I forget earlier on the day. And I was like starting to panic. I'm like, Hey, it's okay to like fail at things, you know, like you got to let yourself in on it. But the first year I spent, (laughs) I mean, I, I, I feel like everyone should go through it because everyone should understand what it's like to lose everything because so many people have lost everything and it's our lack of understanding of that process that disables us from, from having compassion for each other. Right. But like that first year I was like, okay, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose everything that I have. Right. Like, so the days that I spent were like, how are you going, how is this going to unfold for you? Like, how are you going to deal with this stuff? I was, and then unfortunately, like for us, we're kind of like, am I going to end my life over it? Or, or am I just going to try to keep going and hope that there's some improvement? Or I hope and pray that like, I'll just be able to bear the load that's coming down on me. Um, You know, like, because you're thinking about my injury and then I'm thinking about the psychological strain of what I'm going through. And I'm like, it feels just everything feels impossible. You're like, I can't go through this kind of, before I had TM, the TMS injury, I didn't think I could go through this kind of psychological strain. Someone being like, Hey, I'm going to take a wall away your stuff. You can't work anymore. You're not going to have a place to live and all this stuff. I was like, I, I can't, I can never deal with that. Like, oh, yeah, just,
1: yeah, yeah, Good, good luck kind of, I guess, providing for your family the way that you did before as well. You're going to have to figure that one out as well. And all, all of these, all of these types of things. I mean, I cannot even like, well, I mean, tell us, I mean, how do you build yourself back up from that place? I mean, because I mean, like you said, people become suicidal when they're there and I bet people have taken yeah. their life when they've been in that position. Like how do you, cause, cause you're right. I mean, you kind of lost everything and and in sort of like the most invasive way ever, because there's something about like, you could lose your job, you could lose your car and you could lose your home. If you, you know, made a bad business venture or you went all in on something and you thought it was going to work, but losing it because you've had like a, like a traumatic brain injury. And it's just like, Oh shit, it's going to be hard for me to build this back up from here. I, I just have to kind of sit and wait until it recovers. Like, um,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's different, yeah, right?
1: Well, yeah. That's different. That's like a whole like like I'm going to be waiting until I can kind of get back up, you know, back online and recover from it. So it's like, how do you? Um, I, and this is probably important for people who find themselves in a similar place. Like, what what words of like strength do you have for someone else who's kind of walking this path and who also, you know, like you kind of lost everything. And I mean, you're here five years later. I know you're not improved, but it's certainly looking like you're going through the motions to start to think about returning to work and everything. Like what do you say to someone who's who's one year in who's just lost everything?
0: Yeah. Hmm. Great question. Um, so it was, um, I kind of have had this cookie cutter life in in a lot of ways, but in other ways I haven't. I was raised with kind of like hippy dippy parents and experience that they're kind of trying to teach me to be wise about things. Like when I was younger, and I kind of turned my back on that stuff and like moved into the city and like did all this professional stuff because I was over flooded with that kind of mentality growing up. So I didn't find it very appealing. Um, but when this stuff happened, I. When I started learning about the trick that psychiatry had pulled on me, and then I realized that my job was kind of responsible for me getting in this situation, <laughs> I had these these moments pretty early on where I was like, I just got screwed by everyone and everybody that I ever put my trust in as an adult, right? And I was like, I was like, you're not do. It was like, and then and, and then on top of it, I was like, and you're probably gonna die soon, and so I was like. What am I gonna do with the time I have left? And I was like, well, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything dishonest, right? I'm not gonna engage in any behavior or any thoughts with anybody that's slightly dishonest. I'm not gonna deceive myself again, whether that's with a psychiatrist or we're trying to work a job that I can't work or whatever. You know, I'm just like I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest with myself and everyone I meet all the time. I'll never I'll never be dishonest. You know, and then then I'll just deal with the fallout from there because that's how I want to die. Essentially, unfortunately, we don't talk about that a lot, but almost all of us are in that situation every day. We feel like we're going to die. So I just was like, I'm just going to be honest with myself. And I had those conversations with my family and and everyone that was important to me. And then I started having this is I'll get kind of functional. So that's kind of the inspiration I offer to people. And once that happened, my trajectory actually changed a lot. So um. So I had remember these phone calls that I had taken or these situations that I had been in when I was working at the bank where, like, you call, like, there might be a collection situation or something or someone, like, I was there during the bubble, the collapse, people couldn't pay their mortgages, right? And, um, like, you talk to customers or be in a situation and lots of times you would just be trying to negotiate away, but... The thing was during the collapse, like people didn't have a way there were they didn't have the income to pay they couldn't do anything and the people that I respected the most or the people that left the biggest imprint on my mind were people that were like I can't pay you and I and I'm not paying you there's nothing to be done like why are you calling me right and I was like why am I calling them like you know this is dumb so in this situation like I had bills to pay and stuff so I was like I'm going to call them and be like hey I can't pay you like Hey, I got nothing. This is why I would start sharing my story with people. I, there's so many laymen and like just people out there that know TMS is harmful because I'd call them up and be like, "Hey, I can't pay," and they'd be like, "Why?" And I'd be like, "I got hurt by TMS," and I'd start telling them my story. I wouldn't like go nuts, but I'd just start talking to them about it and I'd say, "So, so I'm in a bad spot," and they might ask me some questions, right? So I'd tell them more, whatever they want to know. But it became a way for me to spread the honesty of what I was going through. But then also, I had this tremendous relief of my burden where people were able to help me that could help me. And other ones were just like, Hey, I understand, man. Like the, you know, we'll see where we're at in a month. I can give you a month or whatever. And the craziest thing was that while well, my whole life doctors didn't show up for me in the way that I needed, you know, um, my job didn't show up for me in the way that I needed when, as soon as I changed and I was totally honest about everything, people started showing up for me and I can't explain how and why, but like my family really showed up. Some of my family members were like, they were, they just called me they're like, Hey, I heard you're in a tough spot. I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give you money every month until I can't anymore. This is what I can do. And I'm like, wow, th- thank oh you. Like that's a huge deal. Some of the, like the, some of the creditors were like, we like, okay, like you can't pay us. You can't pay us. Okay, fine. You know? And then, when I was honest about my disability and stuff too, I'm sure I got a little bit more sympathy. You know, they're just like, oh man, if that happened to me, like I get it. So they would, they would lay off. It, it like, wasn't a big, it became a human exchange instead of a, what can you do for me exchange kind of thing. Right. Um, and then I went, I did the the hard things that people can't do. Like I had to file bankruptcy. Like I had to, I had to go uh, get, get on uh, Medicaid and like, Get food stamps, like everything that I could do to try to make it through this period that I never thought I'd have to do in my life. But through this process, I met people that understood, like going to the welfare office and talking to the lady. She's like, I was where you were. I had a great job and all this stuff. And we just, I got laid off one day. I couldn't feed my kids and I didn't know what to do. And my daughter, her daughter, went to the welfare office for her because they didn't have any food in their house. And so she's telling me the story, right, of like the situation and all that, like, There's this term, um, pain shared is pain divided and joy shared is joy multiplied. So even though I was going through this horrible thing, there was these moments where even though they didn't sustain me for a long time, they, I think they served to change my mind and change my perspective and allow me to just get a little bit further down the road. And a part of it was like, oh, there's this part of humanity that's really fantastic. And there's all these people out there that are very quiet but they know exactly what's going on. They're trying to help everybody out as much as they can, and there's just really wonderful stuff. I, in my whole life, like I like for the 15 years that I was working, I never once ran into someone and I was like, "Man, that person's wonderful. I'm so glad that I met them today and talked to them." And never once did I ever say that, right? Mm-hmm. But after my injury, I can tell you, I said that like at least once a month on average, maybe like two, three, four, five times a month. I'm meeting people that are honest, helpful, and that they want to be there and are are just crazy cool. And it changes you, you know? And I think that's a part a responsible partly for my healing too. Um, I just never, I had too much pride, right? Like I would always take care of all my stuff and do my own stuff. I never relied on anybody. And then when I had to start relying on people, it just, it shifted things. And it took a burden off me psychologically that was huge in terms of, healing and like moving in the right direction because there was a point where it felt impossible i was sure it was impossible and now the outlook i have today is entirely different
1: yeah i I think you're you're touching partly on like some of the i mean this is crazy to say but the i guess the psychological growth that people go through when they are in bouts of extreme suffering i mean one of the one of the staff i work with is chris page who had I think one of the most horrific benzodiazepine injuries i've heard of you know i mean he would say some crazy things like you know he paced for several years nonstop, (laughs) had a gun in his mouth several times he was so uncomfortable um and you talk to him now and and, you know the gratitude he has for every single day it's it's almost like a monk-like sense of peace and and when i ask him about it he just says after going through what i've gone through and the amount of pain you know it's 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 like almost I mean, he just feels like, like blessed for every single day and it's not fake and there's nothing phony about it and you can see it in his face. Like he's fundamentally changed by essentially being stuck in a place of torture for several years. And now that he's out of it, he's just, you know, he just like emanates
0: love. Really? (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. It's, we focus so much on the pain because the pain is, it's, it's beyond words that we all go through, right? And, but I've seen that and I've experienced that to a, a large extent. And if we get through the pain and work through this, we become like some of the most blessed people on the planet because for exactly what you just said, you're, if you come through that, like, I mean, now that I've been through what I've been through, even now, people would say, you know, Hey, would you, would you walk across, you know, run across, run, you know, 3000 miles across the country or something like that. And I'd be like, Sure. Like, you know, like, you know, no big deal. Like some massive feat is super hard. Like it's no different than living your day. You do live your day one day at a time, like minute by minute and you appreciate it. And every minute you're not in searing pain or having agathasia is, is a really wonderful minute of your life. And it adds this incredible vibrance and in color. And not to mention the things like I just mentioned, you're talking about like this wisdom, like understanding what it is to be human and seeing that in other people, it just, it's. It's life-changing in a positive way. There, to me, there's no doubt about that. Um, it, just, it really just sucks that the the price you pay to get there, right, is just is is really the focus everybody has because it's it's so it's such a high price. But yeah, and so you know, I'm gonna shift gears now because there's
1: so much I want to talk to you about, and you know, I could talk to you for a million years. But talk <laughs> talk, talk talk to me about. Talk, talk to me about the group. Uh, say the name of the group and then tell me, like, was it you who made it or did you find it? Like, how many people are in there? What have your And what your experiences have been like just hearing from other TMS injured, injured folks? I'd love to hear about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the group is called Victims of TMS Action Group, uh, VTAG. Um, why I gave it that name, I'm not <laughs> it was a long time ago when I was in the midst of a lot of stuff. Um, but it kind of fitted. I wanted it to be a group where we weren't focused so much on injury but what we could do about it, and that's kind of what we ended up throwing together. Um I created the book the the group in Facebook and so I'm the creator technically, but there was like I told you at the beginning, um I was totally alone like with these symptoms and the things that I was going through and I and like doctors were no help I didn't have any indication that hurt anybody so (laughs) in the months afterwards
1: I was gonna say what's it like when you start like a group and you're like the only guy in there like did you know like someone else or did they just kind of like trickle in over like a year or something and it was like like what what were the early days like when it's just like you, you start the group like where do the members come from?
0: This is a really good question um, that's actually the kind of the coolest part of the journey every time I think about how far I've come I think about the early days with that because there was there was nobody and nothing anywhere I searched I searched the internet for weeks and I couldn't find a single bad word about TMS and then eventually I came to this forum I think it was called TMS and you and it had been started a long time ago and people were talking about their experiences with TMS well I found a small section that People were talking about the negative side effects that they had. And um, I got in there one day and I was like, holy crap, I found somebody, just one person that was complaining about memory issues. And I looked up and it matched my stuff exactly. And then I was kind of pouring over that stuff. And there's a few other people that had chimed in. And like, I, I created a login so quick and just started corresponding. I was like, please, like, just one of you guys, like, give me your email so we can just talk and start trying to figure this stuff out together. And it's funny, like you try to sync up with someone on a forum or someone on the internet, like they're not going to give you their email or nothing, but yeah, everybody not sure that you know, was in this,
1: yeah.
0: everybody that was on this thread, like we instantly all yeah. shared our emails, right? We were going through like such desperation, like trying to figure this stuff out on our own. And in a very short period, we had all shared our symptoms. We created a spreadsheet and we were trying to just like get all the data together that, Kind of helped us understand what was going on and then our idea was to give it over to some lawyers which we started doing really early on um but this group really shortly thereafter we were all sending emails back and forth to each other all the time we're like man someone should just start you know a group or we need to find a better way to communicate so i got on and i was one of the i think because of my business background like doing this kind of stuff was just second nature to me it wasn't really difficult everyone else was so harmed it was like just trying to do that was like this big pain, but I was like, I've created like communication groups so many times. Like I'll just get on and do it and I'll just add people, you know, it's just second Mm -hmm. nature. So I did that. I started the group. Um, And then man, it was just, there was only like 10, 12, 15 of us for like six, seven months or something. And then that first year, I think there was like year, year and a half. There was all, there was like under 300 people and it was really small, just, One at a time, people were trickling in and we were telling other people on Facebook and some people were just finding us because they had been searching Facebook for TMS like side effects for a long time and that popped up. Mm -hmm. And then there was a point, I think when we were under a thousand members, like it still seemed kind of small and we would all almost communicate on a daily basis. We'd make a Facebook post and just share something or talk, you know, very friendly. And then after that first year and a half or so, it just skyrocketed, and now we have like 3,300 members, and um, you know, a lot of the dialogue in there is, I mean, a lot of people I don't know, people are just sharing their stories and trying to help each other and communicate back and forth, but um, it, it just, it really took off. And then of course, for me, at the beginning, it was very therapeutic to discuss my symptoms with people and get confirmation and things, but it was around the third year I realized I actually started getting. I had this another bout where I developed akathasia, inner akathasia, and I hadn't had it at the beginning. And it was around three and a half years, I think. So it was, like, it was like a year and a half ago I had it. And I think part of it was I watched people in the group report these horrors and these harms over and over and over again when the group started getting bigger. And I was watching people in the very worst bits of what I have it. And it's and some people even worse. And I kept reading the stories and I kept reading every single story that came through. And, um, and I just like, I think I just broke like it. I had a dream, a really horrific dream that I woke up and I was having acathesia when I woke up, um, inner acathesia, And, uh, I was just, it was the it was a million times worse than the worst nightmare I'd ever had, even though there was nothing scary about my dream in particular, but I couldn't, I couldn't sit still. I got out of bed and I was just walking around and I couldn't stop moving because the level of anxiety and fear that I was experiencing, I had been through extreme anxiety and panic and all these things. And this was something that was, I kept telling my wife was like, this is a million times worse. I mean, literally a million times worse than anything I've ever experienced. And I've experienced like really, really bad stuff. And, um, I had just been really immersed in the group and so many people were reporting all this bad stuff that it just broke me. And then after that, um, it took me a while to figure out what it really was because once I had that cathasia, then it was recurrent and it kept coming on like almost daily, but definitely at least several times a week. And I realized there's these stress triggers for it. And it was being in the group like and watching these horror stories over and over again.
1: I mean, that's like a really interesting point and I'm gonna ask you a question here. Do you think that you ever would have experienced akathisia like had you not read what it was like so many times? Like, do you think there's like a psychological contagion aspect to it as well? Like maybe like, yeah, you're you're in states of anxiety and terror and, and previously you're just like, I'm in a state of terror and anxiety. But once you know that like, hey there are some people that when they get into these states like it just boils over and they have to start like pacing like like do you think it was like like once you knew that like it almost like infected you in some way like psychologically like i i, I know that sounds like crazy but i like what do you yeah. what do you think of that
0: yeah i you're explaining it in kind of the your own terms which i i, I completely agree with the way, I exp- the way I've come to kind of explain things and understand things for myself, because I look at how stressed out I got during work and the anxiety and stress and panic I had at work was really extreme. It was really equivalent to a lot of the things I experienced after TMS and some things I experienced on psychiatric yeah. drugs. And I related it to like there's a certain like level of neurological harm that your body can kind of hold on hold, right? and then like so if it's extreme chronic stress from work like it just builds until your nervous system is just like that that's it we're we broke we used all of our energy trying to hold on to this situation it's over and then that can manifest i think i think that's when people become susceptible like to have chronic fatigue syndrome and lots of these other really extreme myst- mystery illnesses but to me what from what i've seen it's always been this neurological break that they've had they they've just overextended themselves so far, it just breaks. And um, I mean, you could call that in this situation, you could call it like a psychological contagion, right? Like I was constantly reading these stories. I couldn't not read the stories because I just couldn't look away because it was so related to my own stuff. I couldn't turn my back on these people and, and not respond to them or not tell them, hey, I understand, like I've been there too. This is everything that I've learned. Like I just wanted to share it with you, right? And I feel that I, I, my nervous system was just the horror that I was reading in there. It just kept building up. And, and then I, there was a, it was a breaking point and I just, and it just broke and it just broke me. And they, the one I saw this, this movie called quiet explosions. It's about a lot of it is about service members that get out of the military and have TBI and how misdiagnosed they are and everything because this is invisible injury. Well, there was this part of the movie when they're talking about, psychological trauma can cause a TBI. They're like, it manifests a real physiological TBI. Like women that were, they interviewed this woman that had been raped several times in the military and they're like, she has all the manifestation of TBI. Like, so we, that's how we treat her. And then she's had an improvement. Right. And so that's how I came to look at it. If it's, if it's true or not. And I'm always trying to evaluate that, but it really seems a close fit to me that I read these stories so much and was being traumatized and traumatized and traumatized by them. And I believe every single one. And I just held so much of it in. I honestly think I got a physiological TBI from overexposing myself to that stuff every single day for for years on end. I mean, and then you're not alone. Like some
1: people have to detox from the groups. This And this yeah. is not just with probably the TMS stuff, but with in all of the groups because they're... Um, you know, you, you hear the worst stories in the groups, you know, there's a bias, there's like a retention bias, where the, the people who are the sickest, you know, they, they, they stick around you know, for obvious reasons. Right. And then it, like you can't help but think when you read those stories, Oh my God, am I going to be here five years later? Am I going to be here? Yeah. You know, with this gun in my mouth, like all this, you know, wishing I would die, you know, all of these things. And, and so they just, they, they leave and then they say, Oh, I felt better. You know, it, it was nice yeah. to kind of have like a little reset from, you know, from that. And so I, I don't think you're alone with that, but let me ask you this. So you you're probably like i'm gonna say one of the world leading experts in TB in in traumatic brain injury like injury because uh, sorry in tms uh, brain injury because i don't think probably anyone else has as much exposure to the actual sufferers of this condition like i i doubt there's any academics that are pouring over this um and you know talking to as many people as, as you've talked to so given that I have this opportunity with you, I would like to ask you to, to kind of sketch out roughly like what you think the prognosis is for this on average, from what you see, like after this happens to someone, Hey, some people it's three months, some people it's like, you know, I've heard stories up to 10 years. This is roughly where I think it falls. Like this is roughly kind of the symptoms that I think people have like sketch it out diagnostically. So if there's any physicians or any people out there who, who, who would want to like learn from your experience, talking to so many people with this, like, yeah, just, just go for it. Cause I, I think you've you've got a wealth of knowledge having just kind of sat in this space for so long.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to. Um, yeah, it is a really unique position because as we know, like clinicians don't really expose themselves to, to the harms, like the long lasting harms and stuff and just try to analyze that, quantify it. Um, which is really important work is just so important. Um, but it's not really getting done, especially. And then with a new treatment like TMS, it's not, um, uh, it's good with it. We piggyback kind of on the, um, the neurological breakage like situation that i was saying what i've seen is so a lot of people don't report any harm from tms right and um the way i've come to understand it is that the nervous system like they may have been in a bad spot but it wasn't ready to break right you can same thing with like ect and stuff people can get juiced up with ect and, and meds like a ton and then they just they just Cold turkey or whatever, they walk away and they're just like, "Ooh, that was a close call," but you know what? I'm fine. I'm good to go. I keep going. I worry about those people a lot because I think they've predisposed them to uh, themselves to a future injury, and I think they walked away clean in their mind, but really they should be even more cautious, like to preserve what they have left. Um, but, but arguably, right? Like some people wouldn't believe me on that. Plenty of people that think they've had improvement from TMS or are okay or like totally fine, but. I'd argue otherwise. So it's true. It seems like the majority of, of people walk away in that scenario. Like they're okay. Um, a much, a smaller group, but really, really significant. I mean, I mean, if I had to guess like around like 10% ish, maybe seem to have like immediately like manifested this harm from the electromagnetic fields given off by TMS, which, which are really, really intense. When, when I, did the math on the intensity of the fields. The intensity of the fields are actually more intense than ECT. ECT has direct current, but the amperage isn't as high as what's generated from the coils and TMS. So there's this field there. So it's, it's just really a lot of energy. Um, and so I think the people that are harmed, they're predisposed to this injury. Um, they're Neurologically, anyways, they are kind of in this place where their nervous system was ready to snap. For me, I had been under chronic stress at work for like, I mean, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And then plus I had a previous psychiatric injury at the time I did TMS. Um, I hadn't taken any meds. I had just been eating and being healthy for years, you know, so I didn't have any, I couldn't blame anything else. There was nothing else except for just the TMS really at the time that overloaded me aside from chronic stress from work. Um, and so We've had a very small handful of people, like literally, that were hurt by TMS. They manifested moderate to severe symptoms of electrical injury that we kind of all share. And then within a month or two, I would say within three months, they really walked away clean. They were like, you know, what? I felt really bad for three months. I'm okay now. Like, I really feel like I'm okay. I'd check back in with them, you know, and they'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm fine. It's great. I mean... We're talking out of like a few thousand people. I mean, because there's other there's like family members and friends in my group. I wouldn't say it's thirty, three hundred people that were harmed, you know, but probably a few thousand of them now are. I mean, you're talking about a handful of people in that group. Mm-hmm. The the very vast majority of people in there, unfortunately, are still experiencing like a high level of harm, like or symptom manifestation at we're talking two, three, four years later and they're and they're still trucking at it and i think they're and then there's an, again uh, another so i mean you could look at it like an 80 10 10 like 10 of the people that are harmed seem to walk or actually it's probably less than 10 percent. i mean like one percent seem to be like walking away early on free the vast majority seem to stay harmed and then there's a really small group of us which i'd include myself in that seemed as they're starting to improve after several years they're having some level of improvement um and we're hoping to be okay one day um i really can't think of anyone yet that's been like hey i'm totally good like i was i was hurt for like three years and i'm totally good now you know everything's fine we have a few members that are like they went back to work and they're managing to work they have like kind of occasional symptomology but overall they're they're Quality of life is pretty good, which leaves us with the group in the middle. And that group in the middle, they had this, this t- neurological trauma. And, um, it really seems that removing the additional neurological trauma that they're experiencing on a daily basis is very, very, very difficult. They're under extreme levels of stress from their crap life situation and what they have to deal with now after TMS, um, most people, unfortunately, were psychiatrized before TMS, and now they've continued a heavy-duty psychiatric drug use through their injury and then after their injury. Right? Trying to ask someone to withdraw from drugs or say that's a good decision, like after they're already dealing with like severe neurological injury, is just—it's just so hard, you know—to um, yeah. to add a withdrawal on top of that. Like I, I talk to people about how the impact of the nervous system, but I just, you know, I can't tell people or say have any expectation of them to even try that. I, I mean I really understand it's it's a hard spot. Um but then they have they have family stress, right? They have financial stress. They have all these stresses on top of them, on top of, you know, pretty much laying around a house all day, you know, and then they're kind of depriving their nervous system of stimulation because if they go out, they're overstimulated, right? If they stay in, they're under stimulated you know if you're just constantly laying there you need some level of activity but it's just got to be really 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 small and you've got to kind of work up to it it's probably the best ideal thing so let, let me ask some clarifying questions okay so in your group it sounds like
1: less than 10 percent of the people they come in they're miserable but they recover fairly quickly yeah and then and, and then they leave and then there's another group of around 10 percent who They've been hurt for like three to five years, and they're making very, very slow recovery. Did I understand that right? Yeah, yeah that, it's, it's approximately. Yeah. And what about that group in the middle that that eighty percent are these? And let's let, let's consider like the clean patients, the ones because and that's probably not a lot, right? Because by the time you get TMS, you're unusual because by the time most people get TMS they're on a mood stabilizer they're on an antidepressant and they may even be on an antipsychotic it's kind of like the step before you would go to something like ect like you're you're clutching at straws by the time you're trying tms typically and so usually that's them but for someone else who's like maybe a more clean like you are you seeing people like it's really bad hey this was really bad for like the first year but then by like 18 months like oh my God, I'm like, I think I'm like 70% better. And then by like the two and a half year mark, they're like, I'm returning to work. Is is that, is that it? Or is it kind of like either you get better quickly or like you got it. And then like you're, you're kind of in it for, for several years and it's a grind.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a grind. And it really sucks. Even though I was stuck in a bad spot, I was really hoping other people would just recover a lot better than me. But it's an absolute grind. There is a, There's some people after a year or two, they seem to get used to it, you know, and they're like, and we're kind of reassured, you know, it gets better, it improves. But again, like kind of like me, it was when I was telling you, it was like one or 2% progress a year, maybe 5%, you know, it's like, it's almost hard to tell like how much you're getting better over that long period of time. But that for that large group in the middle, that's really what it is. A few people are like, you know, they get through two years and then they're like, you know what, it's not so bad anymore. And then. We talk about what they're dealing with and it's a ton but they've really just come to terms with the fact that you know it's, it's really difficult it's going to be a really long slow you know
1: way out it's a good point and that's another big similarity i see in the other spaces with the other drugs that like when you've been in like the hell like if you at least like leave the hell even though you're still having pretty substantial symptoms people are so grateful for what they have and they're just like and they're like, it's like, are you recovered? Like, no, not, not fully, but like I'm good enough that I can like have a life. And, and, and so they're like, I'm recovered, you know? And yeah, I'm still having like these problems and these zaps and these bouts of fatigue. And I still have, I'm not able to do the things that I want to be able to do and anyone else would be like, Hey, that's pretty substantial. But in their mind, they're just like, my life is meaningful and I'm able to do things that I want to do. And it's like, so they're, they're just like, I'm good you know?
0: Yeah. It it brings up this topic of disability, right? Before, um, I thought disability was like this big overt thing that like, if you're disabled, you can't walk and this stuff. Right. And then once I become disabled, I'm like, I changed my perspective to like, we're all really disabled. It's just a matter of how much and how much it gets in your way. Right. So like, I knew after I was disabled, I was like, I was working with a lot of people that were technically disabled. They were just like, I'm not you know, I just not acknowledging it just keep working anyways. Right. And then like the survivor community, like we become disabled and then like, it's not like you're just not disabled one day. Right. It's like, you're just dealing with a little bit less, or you have this great appreciation to focus on the positive. So, you know, so many people we talk to, I'm sure you get this in your practice as well. Like, like how you doing? You're like, oh, I'm doing pretty good. And you're like, how do you feel? You know what's going on there? They name off all these egregious, like, horrible things they're dealing with, right? And then you're like, okay, like, well, but if you're only thinking about the positive, right? And you're grateful for that, everything else I a, becomes. I have a coach
1: on my um, on my staff, Nicole Lamberson, and she, um, you know, she's just like, man, this year has been like so much better for me, you know, uh, in some ways, you know, maybe I'm turning a corner, and then like I talk to her and i and i go how do you feel and she goes oh, sometimes it feels like there's like you know there's like a rusty rod with barbed wire being shoved up my spine and like twisted around and i'm like how do these two things like exist at the same at the same time you know yeah yeah but you mentioned you hear egregious things i remember hearing that i'm just like jesus christ like that sounds just i mean i could not think of a worse form of like torture to go through it's it's crazy yeah. Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, I think I'm getting a little better this year. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. In that perspective, it's a good, it's it's a double edged sword, but yeah, it ends so, up so, being so a good tell, thing. So,
1: James, tell, tell me this. So, uh, okay, so it sounds like it's something that really improves slowly, It's it's quite persistent for the majority of people talk to me about the clinical course. So when I say that, I mean, what are the most common symptoms and how do they emerge following TMS? Just just from your experience, like hearing so many stories, what what is the most typical uh, story of someone who has a TMS
0: injury? Yeah. Um, so when, when you're in the office getting the treatments, um, typically you'll experience some sort of, you know, side effect. Um, for me, it was uh, cognition problems. Right, that's a big sign of a neurological complication. Um, a lot of people were experiencing what what I didn't get, but the rap you're talking about, like, oh, you have increased anxiety or you have increased depression. Right, which is really our nervous system shouting out, like, hey, I'm way too excited, or hey, I'm I'm been slowed down like way too much, um, or they'll have, unfortunately, like tinnitus like ringing in the ears um i mean almost a lot of the stuff is like kind of textbook tbi stuff um and then Mm -hmm. generally so you have some sort of symptomology like that when you're in there and it's usually not too bad it's usually an exaggeration of things that have already been going on maybe or or an exaggeration of regular like kind of human function that catches people's needs some people um a good friend of mine developed epilepsy, right? So she had a seizure in there and then she continues to have seizures. Um, Sometimes there'll be a big event like that. It's really rare. Um, Even like some people that were like screaming in the chair or it felt like a jackhammer on their head, that's pretty rare stuff. But obviously it's an indicator for, for injury. And then the typically what happens, and this is really, really uniform. And it's also what makes it so so difficult to deal with and puts us in such a precarious situation is that really nothing changes for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, um, two months, three months, and then all of a sudden our nervous systems collapse or we have, or the endocrine system stops kind of being able to support the the trauma that's going on or, or whatever it is. And then we have this big collapse where now we're dealing with, like extreme fatigue, like then now all of a sudden you can't get out of bed and you're exhausted. When you get up, you go to do things and you're exhausted. Um, you have overstimulation is a huge one. So extreme sensitivity to light, to sound, um, senses and, and that sort of thing. And then of course that results in a cognitive like problems. Usually like you just, you can't think straight. Um, that sorts of stuff. And then we have all kinds of other things, other manifestations of electrical injury, like people's muscles will start twitching. They'll have extreme cramps and pain, like maybe in their neck or their lower back or in extremities, a little bit less common. It usually seems to manifest along kind of like the spinal cord, like either from up here or down. Um, Mm -hmm. Eye eye injuries are, they're not really frequent, but they bother me when I hear them, I remember them. eye injuries can happen during treatment or they can kind of materialize slowly after treatments as well. We have some detached retinas and stuff like that, which is like kind of a a high form of trauma. Um, And then from that, people experience in that time afterwards, like a lot of anxiety, depression and panic. Um, and, And what I've noted, one thing I don't know if you're interested in, but It really lines up really closely with chronic fatigue syndrome. And we always think of chronic fatigue syndrome as like just being exhausted all the time. But they're experiencing um, these huge bouts of anxiety and then they crash from it and they become exhausted and they have these two extremes they're usually bouncing between with other things like muscle cramping and different things like that too. I'm not entirely sure. I actually got diagnosed with chronic fatigue by that one of my good doctors that I had. And at the time I was like, what does that have to do with anything? But and I went into the chronic fatigue community and looked and I was like, wow, they're experiencing the same things that we are. They just have a different kind of, um, instigating factor in there. But, um, it's all, all this stuff is like textbook, like broken nervous system, um, delayed onset from so from the stuff.
1: Let me ask you something. So, um, you know when i think about like a like a traumatic brain injury that someone might have from a car a car accident or something like that where they you know they might fracture their skull you know and they have this just real strong hit um right afterwards it's it's fairly common for people to be really sleepy and sedated does do you see that happen some is that sometimes described right after the tms treatment or is that sleepiness usually the thing that like Hits them like after whatever that euphoria is, or that rush of like uh, endocrine uh, hormones has has worn off. Like you know, two months later. Like uh, yeah, I was wondering if you could talk about that because uh, yeah, like sleepiness, heavy sedation, and where that kind of fits into it. it. I mean, if it does. I mean, I'm just thinking about traumatic brain injuries.
0: Yeah, that's really that's really interesting, and I could see getting that as a clinical experience. Like, I don't know if you've seen that in patients before, like face-to-face. For me, I don't, I've never equated the two because I'm always talking to someone. I'm not really, or I look at them face-to-face for a few minutes or for like an hour, like we talk on Zoom or something. But um, so really, they're just reporting things to me. So it's usually verbally or it's written. And um, they're talking about extreme excitation and like not being able to sleep or being so wound up they can't calm down and or like they talk about being exhausted or fatigued. I never really for, or heard them refer to it as like sleepy, but um, because it, they usually associate, I've also noticed that people associate fatigue and depression almost synonymously, like almost like exactly the same thing. Like I'll actually probe people and say now, are you depressed like emotionally or are you exhausted all the time? And then a lot of them will change and be like, well, I just have no energy. So like, I'm just depressed and like exhausted. and I. Because I would describe it as depression as well, but really, as I think it's a neurological exhaustion, which I really yeah, never yeah. heard someone say sleepy. But it would not surprise me if that's exactly
1: yeah, what's yeah, happening. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, because that, like that, that seems to be something that happens at least when you have a physical injury to the brain. And I saw this up close actually. My daughter, um, she fell out of the window at our home um, onto a concrete driveway and <sighs> had a dramatic brain injury and was. I guess, seriously injured and very confused. And, um, for about a period of a week, um, and this is crazy. She was three at the time. Um, and she was heavily, she was so sleepy. Um, you know, she went from being awake all the time to being awake, like four hours a day. And, and so I saw what that looked like real time, just that kind of, you know, that, you know, that damaged brain kind of thing going on where she just wanted to sleep all the time. She would, you know, we'd have her little friends come over and she would play with them for a little bit. And then she'd say, hey, you know, mommy, like, I think, you know, I think so-and-so needs to go home. And we could tell, like, she just needed to go back to sleep. And that kind of went on for about... We were really lucky that went on for about two weeks afterwards, this kind of heavy sedation before, before it kind of went away. And, um also in my clinical practice you know i talk to people who've had traumatic brain injuries and they describe kind of this similar thing of this fatigue now this 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 sleepiness this may not be the case with um traumatic with um tms type injuries this might be more of like a physical thing yeah. uh, like a physical brain injury thing but it, it it kind of struck me as like that seems to be something that the brain does when um you know when you shake it around in the skull really hard or you hurt it really badly um it, that that it just it gets you just get really tired and, and 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 lethargic and then also there's these other things there's like the irritability that goes along with the traumatic yeah. brain injury and all That's that kind of stuff. very prevalent yeah yeah um so yeah um next time we talk, you'll tell me, you'll tell me about it. You know, if you start,
0: if you start seeing, saying stories like that, but I think that's, yeah. That Primarily that's with that TMS, there's a lot yeah. of rapidly, I mean, yeah. almost everyone's con- um, convinced to have like bipolar at some point because it alternates really rapidly. Like they get really anxious and then they crash from like being hypervigilant and then they're exhausted and then, they're going back into like a really anxious state because of all the stuff they're going through. And it alternates really quickly, like lots of times in a day, which is really, really common. And it almost like seems like a hallmark of the injury, which I think is a bit different than what you're describing, which might be a manifestation of the difference in the, like the insult, right? Like an electromagnet oh, yeah, being definitely. like,
1: well, and the other thing that comes to mind is the like, I think it's CTE was a chronic traumatic, the encephalopathy, it's the, tru- the, the, the yeah. foot, what happens to the football um, players and the boxes and things like that. It, do you see an overlap between, I mean, that kind of chronic, chronic traumatic brain injuries and in, in, in those, in, in those athletes and how they describe it to what you see in the TMS group? Cause I know people, once they develop that, those athletes like that can last, like just as long as this this TMS stuff if if not longer i mean once once that happens to you it's almost like having you know they describe it as a as a type of dementia i think is is and and you do hear a lot of this like Severe depression, like kind of anxiety, yeah. like irritability, and you know, with cognitive impairment, it's it's that kind of picture. I, I was wondering if you've ever put the two side by side, or kind of looked at the differences and similarities between the TMS injured folks and, and and that population.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have. That was something that there was an early part where I thought it was just a traumatic brain injury, and I looked at CTE and. Bennett Molle has done a bunch of stuff with that. I looked at some of his work and whatnot. It was really illuminating. They're they're very close overlay. And um, like a lot of everyone manifests a little bit differently, you know, and some of the things I was seeing were slightly different than that, but the vast majority completely overlapped. And then I started looking at um, ECT and um, people that have been exposed to repetitive electrical injury. And I saw even more overlap, um, a lot of muscle twitches, like dehydration, problems of processing their electrolytes, it seems like, like different symptomologies of like becoming dehydrated have, or having like frequent or less urination. And then, um, and, and muscle issues really is coming on. like Like my calves, they've fasciculated ever since TMS, every day I look down at them and they're just twitching. And I'm just like, like wow. wow, you know, and that seems to be kind of unique. I have heard of some people with chronic fatigue having similar things like that, um, which was a surprise to me. But with e- in the ECT group, we see almost an exact overlay with that stuff. Also, even with the Gulf, um, you do this kind of crazy, but um, Havana syndrome or uh, Gulf War syndrome, they're yeah, those people have been exposed to either chemical toxicity or a lot of electromagnetic like high intensity stuff, and they seem to have high instances of like the muscle twitches and a lot of the same stuff as well, but with c t e it definitely seems to focus on like the depression and the slowdown and the irritability like over time and that's I think a lot what, what my doctor had dealt with, and he saw it as the same injury, just a slightly different like um yeah, insult you know kind of thing
1: are there any core differences that you see between the ect injured and the tms injured populations
0: yeah that's a great question so much of it was such a close overlay it, it's it's almost been hard to like separate them but um ect it they have this phenomena of the loss of like autobiographical memory where they're like i don't remember my 20s like it's just completely gone. And I've talked to some of those folks and they literally that, I think it's still in there somewhere, but their access to those memories is completely severed. Like it's just a clean, clean cut. There's, there's nothing they can do to access those memories. And that seems to be, it, it's kind of rare, but not too rare. There's plenty of instances of it out there with TMS. We don't see that kind of thing really at all memory problems, cognition problems. But when we talk about memory problems with TMS, it's primarily um, functional memory. Like I can't multitask anymore. I have problems remembering stuff, but it's probably because I'm either irritable, upset, or there's a lot of other stimuli going on. If I sit down and think about something concentrated, I can usually remember it, which is way a t- way more effort than any other person would have to go through. But it's a different... but ect they have all those same memory problems as well like the functional memory problems but in addition they seem to have lost like that and then um unfortunately with ect too they have more more motor issues more severe um muscular like issues and and twitches and and disability with that kind of stuff with some of the higher use people we definitely have those manifestations like muscle issues and uh Like cramping and twitching that's going on and and problems using limbs and stuff, but it's fairly rare and it doesn't seem as intense.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that, it may be something to do with the electrode placement or the, or kind of like it's the space of disruption because I know with TMS, I mean, it's, it's all, um, uh, frontal, prefrontal cortex stuff, right? It's, it's kind of like here and here, right? That, that, like, the, the, those, one side or the other. Yeah. One side or the other. Um, And then, I guess, you know, with, with, um, with ECT, um, sometimes you can have bilateral. And so I think it could just go straight through your temporal lobes on both sides. And I know that's one way. And I think I I also see it done kind of like this as well with ECT. And, and I guess there's a current that goes probably straight through everything that's in there um, to pass from one electrode to the other. And so I wonder if it's, maybe that it's hitting like deeper structures in some way that are more disruptive to those areas that you described, like the autobiographical memory Maybe going through more of the areas that control mode, uh, you know, the motor cortex, you know, coordination, tremors. Um, but that's really interesting. I, I love to hear your, um, your perspectives on that. Cause I'm going to be talking to a lot of people with ECT injuries uh,
0: very soon. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. That's fantastic. Um, there's so much that we can learn from them and there's so much that they've been through. Uh, with ECT, um, yeah, the physics are a little bit. For each of us, um, depending on your brain matter and your water content and all that stuff, the electricity will take the path of least resistance so it can jump around. It can jump anywhere from your head all the way down to the bottom of your spinal cord into any nerve in your body. People report they have problems with their feet after um, ECT and I've seen some of that in mm-hmm. TMS. You know, it can jump anywhere. But, um, the direct current is a little bit of a more concentrated beast, so it can cause a more specific kind of injury depending on where the current actually flows, because like you said, it's going from one side to the other. And then there's also heat buildup that occurs with a direct current because it's concentrated as well, which is is a whole nother. Um, kind of manifestation of injury and stuff with tms it's very diffuse so it's very spread out and then um Mm that that electrical field actually pull alternates so quickly it pulls cells apart so when it's done in a diffuse nature as opposed to a direct nature you know along a a line of current i'm sure that's that's a little bit different and explains some things
1: perfect perfect segue into what i wanted to ask you about how does the injury occur on a on a I guess, a anatomic level or, uh, you know, like what, if, cause I know you've looked into it deeply. What do you think is happening? That's damaging the the neurons with, with TMS. I know you sort of talked about it a little bit,
0: but I'm going to tee you up to give a full answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I do it's, it's funny. If you talk to doctors about it, they're, they're not physicists. So they'll give you kind of a, like an answer the way they understand it. But if you like, so if you're like, is, Is three tesla electromagnetic you know field dangerous you know a doctor will say no like they're in mris and all this stuff it's fine you talk to a physicist or an electrophysicist and they're like it's extremely dangerous like it it destroys human cells you know it depends on your proximity to it but there you should take extreme precautions when dealing with that kind of energy right so our our understanding of it is definitely skewed based on kind of these terms that we see thrown around for instance in the mri you maintain a certain proximity from that coil in the machine i mean it doesn't seem like much but maybe there's just a foot or like a half a foot in between your body and your face and that coil and that machine but in terms of how electromagnetic field diffuses and diffuses its energy it's that's it a huge distance and it has tons of time and space to become weaker over that field right but TMS, it's you've 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 seen it right? Like it's millimeters off your skull. It does not have the time to diffuse in that way. Both of them are dangerous. Like we don't admit the dangers of MRI because they're a lot less and a lot less frequent. But exposing yourself to that kind of energy, like it it is, if we did, also if we did MRIs every single day for forty-five days, right? We would see a little bit different Mm -hmm. um, consequence emerging there. So with with TMS or with electromagnetic energy, um, the there's, there's so there's a coil that's, that's running electricity and it builds this field up and that field is alternating electrons like very, very quickly and it like super quick. And, um, all your cells have a polarity as well. Right. And there's electrons in the atoms in those cells. Well, they're all flowing in, in a certain way. That's natural right but when you introduce another electrical field that is alternating very quickly and those electrons are now interacting right so then the fields in your cells are now alternating very quickly so it's pulling the atoms apart essentially is, is the way I understand it and so it starts to pull the cells apart and they actually they get these small tears in them extremely small tears in them as it goes on and then eventually when you keep doing it like for an extended time or they're repeatedly exposed to it eventually the cell walls break and then you have cell death right so those electrical fields are present in both electrical current like an ect but the electrical fields are also present in tms because they're so close and um they're so intense and so that's so with t- with tms that's how the injury occurs but also electricity can be transmitted wirelessly as well. So there's also actual current that gets generated inside your head from that electromagnetic field. Kind of like if you've seen like a Tesla coil, right? Like it's invisible, right? There's a coil, but it's, it's rapidly moving um, electrical fields so quickly that then that electricity will actually jump and be conducted somewhere else, right? Like, this is the same thing with TMS. At first, I thought it was just a field. But after looking to it more, I saw some studies some research that shows that actually, like, current actually gets generated inside your head based on the interaction with the field. So, but I think it's really minor. Like, the current would be a lot smaller than ECT because they're running, like, a full-strength current through you. This one is generating a wireless current. Um, so, primarily, I think the damage is coming from the field porating those cells and pulling those cells apart, which happens probably in a, a field-based pattern, but there can be some current transmitted as well, where ECT, it's just going in one side and going out the other, like you said. And, Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Another question, probably one that I, I don't know if you've thought about this at all. What What do you think is responsible for I guess the therapeutic effect you know so for the people out there who do TMS who have improvements in their depression or anxiety I don't know if you've read any of that literature when you've been looking at the stuff on risks like what are your thoughts about why it has this um, positive effect on mood or anxiety and at least temporarily for some individuals that do this
0: yeah um (laughs) I was going to start out by giving like kind of a humble statement about doubting myself or saying this is my opinion, but you know, maybe it's different than the way I see it. But I, I'm not I'm not convinced that I'm wrong at all. And part of that is based on efficacy. Like some of the manufacturer studies trials have shown very high efficacy it's like 80%. But all the independent trials I've seen, like trials done by the VA and stuff, it's extremely low, if not negligible, and they don't show any efficacy, which has been what I've seen, right? All the people that I've talked even the people I talked to that reported improvement, they had a really hard time quantifying exactly how they felt better and then i have asked them some probing questions some of them are actually seem like their quality of life was worse afterwards um so but what 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 accounts for that i think it has to do with that endocrine um effect that we talked about earlier but even for me i related reporting better results afterwards and i think it's really i, I think it's i think it's the same game with psychiatry like you take meds, you become blunted, right? And then you're like, Oh, I'm not anxious. I'm not depressed anymore. I'm going to report that. Like, and then you're like, my life's a lot better because it's not so horrible. doesn't mean your life is good or you're feeling well. You're just not feeling horrible. So you're like, this is, this is way better, right? For me, I was cognitively blunted. I had these cognitive problems that I later got diagnosed as mild cognitive impairment. And they, she showed me all the deficit deficits I had in cognition, right? But I could no longer ruminate on negative stuff. I couldn't ruminate on my anxious thoughts. So I had a friend, I was going through this and uh, my wife was telling a friend of ours like what had happened to me. She's trying to explain it. And she's saying, he can't think straight, you know, he's fuzzy, whatever. And she said, and he goes, I bet his depression is gone too because he can't think about all that negative stuff anymore. And I was and like, right.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah." and it kind of clicked at me in that moment, it was earlier on, I was like, yeah, I think this is what people are reporting as a positive effect. When really, it, it's it's hard in studies. I'm like, is this a positive yeah, effect positive or is it effect, just a change?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because um, it reminds me of the title. I think this must be a Peter Bregan book or something he said. But the the, the word brain disabling like um, treatments. I think something like that. Like I said, yeah brain disabling treatments in psychiatry and 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 that's that was his that was his essential thesis for the whole thing was just like the the drugs to to any extent that they're therapeutic it's because they're disabling the the way the brain is functioning in a way that you know might make someone feel better in the moment but you know you have to take a broader perspective and i wonder with like TMS, right? Like if you cause a degree of cognitive impairment, emotional blunting, because you've disrupted the way the neurons are functioning in there, uh, that, yeah, you know, that scale that measures depression and anxiety may improve. But if you interviewed that person, or if you spent a bit more time with them, or we talked to their spouse, you might actually find deficits moving in the other direction She might be like, you know what? James is normally very thoughtful. James normally asks me how I'm doing when he comes back from work. He doesn't give a shit anymore. You know, like he's just (laughs) comes home, sits on the couch, you know, yeah, he looks like he's doing okay, but you know, our relationship's not doing great or you felt a little bit better, but you know, James is not, he doesn't even realize that he, you know, that maybe some of that anxiety that used to drive him to perform at a high level with his work and, and, and things like that. Now that's gone. Like, Are you really better? Is that really a therapeutic effect? If like it moves some kind of scale, measuring your subjective experience of anxiety and depression down, but in the other facets of your life, you know, the ones that people actually care about, you've totally messed them up, you know? So I I don't think that's therapeutic.
0: I, that, so kind of from earlier on, you know, when I initially had my running with psychiatry and meds and then to my TMS, I've, had my own experiences. And then I've talked to so many people afterwards and that is the root of everything. I've been kind of trying to prove myself wrong and find like, where are these people that are having like the the positive effect? You know, I, I'm just not getting it. Um, and so what you just described is just makes up the very, very, very vast majority of everyone I've talked to. I actually run in, ran into one person. It was one of my neighbors and, um, he had, he made a joke about starting to take prozac because he was he was like the cfo somewhere or, or whatever um he had just got like a new job at a small place and um he's like i feel like i'm 110 percent of myself like I'm, I'm fantastic and all this stuff and i'm like i'm like are you serious and i'm looking at him and he looks like kind of exuberant almost you know and i'm like i'm like really and that's and that's from the prozac and he's like yeah he's explained to me how kind of great he feels and how he can perform like way better than he used to be able to And like, I really questioned him for a bit because I had never run into that before. And, um, I had talked to so many people, so that seemed like a huge anomaly to me, but it was really, really interesting. Or most people that you've run into, do they get that blunt, blunting, like kind of change, but not really for the positive type thing? Or do you see other people that like genuinely have like a positive, like effect in their life?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly a group of people out there that, that, have a really positive um, experience. Well, I don't know. They they have a, a therapeutic experience with it enough that they want to keep on taking it, and their families are supportive of it. So, you know, if we want to talk about the SSRIs, yeah, they're mood constrictors. You know, they turn down the volume on on your emotion. Um, and uh, for some people who are having really really severe pervasive anxiety, that gives them a sense of well being. You know. Yeah, sure, it blunts like the positive end of the spectrum as well, you know, so everything kind of shrinks down. But for them, you know, if they're if they mostly live in the negative realm with high peaks of anxiety and terror, then or, or, or obsessive thoughts, they they see that as a as as a benefit. Um, and it's so individual, you know, like for, for everyone, it would be different, you know, m- maybe for someone, someone that's not in a relationship, like it's it's going to be more positive. But as soon as you add another person in there, there's a lot more space for you to have a negative experience with SSRIs because, yeah, with some of that emotional blunting comes a lack of empathy for the other person. Um, you also get things such as like a... Um, um, you know, there's a sexual dysfunction in there as well, which can make things challenging. And so it, it becomes a lot more complicated if your life is more complicated and involves people... Uh, but yeah, there's, there's people out there who have the positive effects and then also the, 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 rare, but not so rare effect with the, with some of the stimulating and with some of the SSRIs is they can be, uh, disinhibiting and mood elevating for some people. That's a less common effect, but it's frequent enough that it happens. And he may feel exuberant when he sees you, he's like, I'm on top of the world but he could go home and talk to his spouse and she says something to him and he just flies off the rails and he's more irritable. Uh, because it's, you know, once you're kind of at that like level of energy and things like that, like it's, it's really easy to, for that to, to tip over into, uh, uncharacteristic irritability, which is damaging. Um, and, and these people that, that that's, that's why there's all these warnings on the drugs about mania, uh, because that's that's the start of becoming manic on on one of these drugs and so many people get on these antidepressants and they become more irritable and the doctors they just go oh you know it's uncovered a bipolar disorder and then so they get they get put on um they get put on a mood stabilizer or an antipsychotic and you know it's just unfortunately for a lot of people it's it's the beginning of the end and you know and then they just start accumulating drugs and it's just a nightmare so It's so, it's crazy, you know. It is so easy um, for things to get out of hands with these meds. The majority of people I talk to, like, they think more about, like, what kind of, like, phone plan they're going to buy than... than, (laughs) looking at the risk of like an antidepressant something that's like a chemical affecting your brain you know that can have all of these effects people don't even think about it these days it's it's sold to them as if everyone has depression it's okay it's no big deal yeah and it's just i couldn't think of something that's like much more like it's so complicated right and we we hand these drugs over to our family doctors who have five minutes to monitor these things in, in their visits and what we're talking about a drug that's changing how you behave and your mood and it's changing the way you're going to behave at work and in your relationships and, and all of these, all of these things. And, and, I mean, they're not monitoring it. They don't have time. They don't have the training to do it. It's just, it's so dangerous. And if you want to, you know, I'm not saying we're going to throw out all of the treatments, but if you want it to be done right, man, you've got to be good. And it's just (laughs) not, And you got to pay attention because you, you, it's high stakes what you're doing, uh, and that is just not the way that they're they're used or thought about these days. Even among psychiatrists, like there's a lot of really like shoddy, just kind of just pill throwing yeah. going on.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good, candid assessment. I I hadn't even come to really that conclusion from what I've seen. You know, like some people like it helps, and I got to acknowledge that. But everyone kind of ends up in a bad spot with it, but. Yeah, you make a really good point. Like it's it is it's a high stakes game, and people don't acknowledge that. Like that's like the core of it, right? It's a super high stakes game, and then you've got
1: that other aspect onto it that these drugs all cause dependence, and you develop tolerance. And we don't know when you're going to develop tolerance, and when that happens, you're going to feel you're going to feel bad, but you're still on a drug with side effects. You know, any of them cause weight gain and diabetes and things like that. And so you were left with the decision, do I go higher or do I come off? And believe me, when you come off these drugs, you're gonna feel worse than you did originally, you know, and everything that was there that led to you getting on them in the first place is still there, but now you've got a withdrawal syndrome on top of that, that's gonna last several months. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's that whole like dependence part of it as well, which really, I mean, don't like, like I rarely put people on these medications because it's, it's really hard to actually find like a use scenario where it's like, Oh, this could genuinely be beneficial as an everyday thing. Like, otherwise it's just like, it's like a bomb waiting to go off. And a lot of the doctors that start these medications, there's, they're nowhere near that, you know, that like when, when it goes off, like they're not going to be able to help you.
0: Yeah. It's so precarious. Yeah.
1: Um, but you know, James we'll probably have to wrap for now. I just saw my wife <laughs> kinda of stick her head in here looking for me. But um this was um this was great to talk to you. I mean, we've gone for three hours now. Um and so I yeah. I think this was this was just awesome. Yeah let's, let's stay in touch. And I'd like to hear from you like in a year or sooner, if anything comes up just to see how you're going with, with your own recovery and and different things that you've learned in the TMS space. The other thing I'd like to have you do is just, if you know anyone in the group that also wants to share their story, just have them reach out to me. It's, um, interviews at were during com and, um, um, I'd like to have more people on just like you who could
0: talk about the experience of, of, of having this. Absolutely. You, yeah, I can definitely, I'm sure there's a few people that would want to, yeah. would want to do it. That's a, that's a fantastic idea. And thank you, Joseph for, for putting this on and getting this all together There's so many voices out there that I've seen. And you're making this huge evidence base for, for the reality of what's going on out there. I can't thank you enough for that.
1: Yeah, no worries.
0: All right. I'm going to, I'm going to stop it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to WitDuringPsychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Doctors Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WitDuringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.